You are listening to Viva and Barnes Law for the People, an American and Canadian lawyer breaking down the latest in the legal world in terms everyone can understand. Enjoy the podcast. And the truth that we need to confront now is that medicine and science are being politically perverted around this country that destroys human lives. And we have reached a tipping point for the role in medicine and civic life for the health and well-being of LGBTQI plus youth and other Americans. Those who attack our community are driven by an agenda of politics. It has nothing to do with medicine. It has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with warmth, empathy, compassion, or understanding. They are rejecting the value of supportive medicine, rejecting well-established science, and simply rejecting basic human compassion. We doctors, <laughs> this is so organic. People who love our communities and love our nation have to confront the, pat, the fact that the language of care and compassion that they're using is being taken to granted to literally tear our communities apart. So we have to stand up. We have to take a stand on behalf of those who are being hurt. That's what we do in medicine, even when it's difficult. We've got a we've got a piece through this. The reason why, by the way, let me just backtrack a little bit. When I said, "Did we want a gag in the opener?" It was in reference to Justin Trudeau. This was actually the substitute for vomitus in the mouth, which <laughs> I realized afterwards people might have thought I was referring to this. Um, this is apropos because of some news that has broken about which you might be aware. Uh, a certain transgender. Navy SEAL, um, who now wants to detransition. Uh, you know, and we're seeing Chloe Cole detransitioning team, suing doctors. I wanted to play this because I, I don't remember if we talked about this or if I just tweeted about it. But it's so over the top in terms of, geez, Louise, I mean, confession through projection. I'm, my family members tell me, Viva, or they say, Dave, enough with the confessions and rejection. We got it. But it's never going to end. It's never going to be enough because it's always going to be there. And the people doing it, they're doing it harder. They're doing it faster. They're doing it with more, uh, I don't know, brazenness, with a total lack of introspection or a total lack of honesty. We've got to walk through a few of the elements in this in terms of what? Dr. Levine is talking about it's not about science it's i I don't even want to i don't want to i don't want to screw it up let's just hear this and the truth that we need to confront now is that medicine and science are being politically perverted around this country that destroys human lives medicine and science is being politically perverted which is an odd way of describing it across this country in a way that is destroying lives you're right dr levine politically perverted around this country that destroys human You're right, Dr. Levine, but we're not talking about the same destruction of human lives. We're not even talking about the same humans. And we have reached a tipping point for the role in medicine and civic life for the health and well-being of LGBTQI plus youth and other Americans. She's talking about youth. Uh, Levine, uh, I don't know. It's like... when someone detransitions, do they do, do the pronouns change? I mean, not even. I, I'm just going to go with doctor because whatever we think about Levine, Levine is still a doctor. We'll say doctor. I would not take my kids to this doctor. I might also end that 
qualification of doctor with quack afterwards, but moving on. Those who attack our community are driven by an agenda of politics. It is Those who attack our community are driven by an agenda of politics. I agree with you, Dr. LGBTQ2IA plus children in our community. I agree with you. Driven by politics. And I dare say some of the doctors are also driven by a little bit of that good old digital green stuff. There's nothing to do with medicine. Nothing to do with medicine. Double mastectomies, top surgery, bottom surgery, puberty blockers, hormone replacement therapy has nothing to do with medicine. It has to do with the perversion of the practice of medicine. Perversion, political perversion. It gets even better. This entire speech could have been delivered by a, it could have been delivered by Matt Walsh. Could have been delivered by uh, Billboard Chris. This entire speech verbatim with a couple of tweaks, mutatis mutandis, could have been delivered by vehemently anti-gender uh, affirming care proponents. Has nothing to do with medicine, has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with warmth, empathy, compassion, or understanding. It has nothing to do with warmth, empathy, compassion, and understanding. You're right. Because when you lob off the healthy breasts of a young child, of a young teenager, it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with perversion of medicine, and it has to do with corruption of a, what has become a very lucrative business for doctors. They are rejecting the value of supportive medicine. Uh, yeah. When you lop off the healthy parts of a teenager, you're rejecting supportive medicine, and you've gone straight into body mutilation. Supportive medicine means uh, supporting the individual through the crisis, not catering to it, not exacerbating it. You know, the idea that someone thinks they need to lop off healthy body parts in order to ease the mental anguish and distress that goes along with a mental condition, because this is a diagnosable and diagnosed mental condition, the idea that you need to lop off healthy body parts to ease the distress, that's part of the mental illness, not a solution to it. Rejecting well-established science. Rejecting well-established science. Can you believe Dr. Levine is sitting here telling us that we're the ones rejecting well-established science, which is that boys have penises, girls have vaginas. Boys have more testosterone, girls don't have as much testosterone. Boys develop muscle mass at around 12 to 13 years of age. Girls don't quite develop that type of muscle mass. There's an entire book my wife is reading, she's a neuroscientist by the way, called Mommy Brain. And like people are so torn between science and politics, it's just a, it's a tug of war. Is politics gonna take over science? Rachel Levine is accusing us, what did she say here? The value of supportive medicine, Rejecting well-established science. Rachel Levine is accusing me, Matt Walsh, Billboard Chris, of rejecting well-established science. And simply rejecting basic human compassion. You know who's rejecting basic human compassion? The adults in the room that are allowing children in the room to dictate what happens to their bodies. They are the ones who are lacking human compassion. Human compassion does not mean catering to the... Uh, mental issues of someone who is going through a diagnosable, diagnosed mental condition. That's not compassion. Compassion is not letting your kid eat all of the candy because they want to eat a bag of candy on Halloween. That's called neglect.
uh, rejecting well-established science. If you eat that candy, you're going to get sick. I don't care that you think you want to. You're a kid. Your brain is not developed. That's well-established science. You don't get to make decisions that are going to permanently alter your body for the rest of your life. That's why you can't get a tattoo until you're 18. That's why you can't drink until you're 17, 18, 21, whatever the jurisdiction. That's why you can't smoke. Oh, but you can decide to take hormone replacement therapy, lop off your breasts or genitals. And we're the ones rejecting well-established science. Carrying on. We as doctors and as people who love our communities and love our nation have to confront the, the fact that the language of care and compassion that they're using is being taken to granted to literally tear our community. I, I don't even, I actually don't even know what that means. So we have to stand up. We have to take a stand on behalf of those who are being hurt. Uh, we do. That's what we do in medicine. Yep, we do. Even when it's difficult. Yeah, and you know who the ones that are hurting them are? Dr. Levine. You, you. And you know how we know this now? Well, the more people that go through this, this craze, this phenomenon, this uh, massive industry now, the more people that go through it, the more people that come out of it and say, what the hell did you let me do to my body? What the hell did you let me do? And, and that is, this was the segue into that par deux, as we say in Men in Tights. Um, the, I think he was a... a I think he was um, a, a military person. What do we call, what did I say there was? Uh, a, na a seal. So I, I hope I don't get copy strike for this, but let's play this. This, this. may or may not have seen in 2013 Jesus, an interview with a Navy SEAL, Chris Beth. He came out as a transgender Navy SEAL. But why we're here today is because of everything happening in America with this transition craze that's going on with kids it, 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 this also reveals another two other issues which we've discussed at various points on this channel uh with uh, dr sydney watson munchausen by proxen munchausen syndrome by social media we're going to get there because it, it's a point that that uh, robbie buck uh, robbie starbuck brings up in this i'm very excited to see this on rumble by the way you have something that you want to tell the world what is that everything you see on cnn with my face do not even believe a word of it. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years, it destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did it to myself, but I had some help. And He's an adult. He did it to himself. Chloe Cole, 15-year-old girl, didn't do it to herself. Gender ideology is, is cultish. And it's not science-based at all. They take that desire, that innate human desire to want to change and to want to help people, and they use it just like a cult leader would. They, uh, and the parents are so desperate to fit in with this ideology because of the fear of the us-them. They don't want to be othered. So now they're using the children as these trophies of like, look at me. I have a child that I'm accepting of. It is Virtue signaling by proxy. I, I've been thinking recently that that I, I don't know enough about the fall of the Roman Empire, and I, I was looking for a good book to listen to, um, so that I could understand. The, the, I understand the thirty thousand foot overview of the fall of the Roman Empire, but I wonder how much of an analogy can be drawn to this virtue signaling because I, I genuinely believe 
if the West falls, if the West um, commits some form of social suicide, it will be as a result of virtue signaling. It will be as a result of the desire to um, superficially feign tolerance because what that does, it's a drug. It's a drug as much as Munchausen syndrome, as much as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. For those of you who don't know what that is, the idea that you get pity or you get adulation, you get sympathy, you get attention if you're sick. And so what that does People fake sickness because they get sympathy. They get brownies brought over by their neighbors. They get, they get more attention than they would have ever gotten um, in real life on their own merits to some extent. And so it becomes much easier to get this attention by pretending to be sick than by succeeding in health. And Munchausen syndrome by proxy for those who, you know, don't want to get sick or fake sick. Well, you get, you get, get your kids sick. And then you get to have all of the adulation, the attention, and you get to look like a hero because you're sacrificing yourself for the kid that you're making sick. What we have here is not a failure to communicate. What we have here is virtue signaling by proxy, a form of social media created Munchausen syndrome, where people say, I need to, sh I need to show, if only superficially, if only I put out a tweet that says, oh. Uh, we can get to some of the superficial tweets in a second where the people who tend to virtue signal the hardest tend to also be the, the, the nastiest. Um, but people are so desperate to virtue signal to show how tolerant that they, they are that they have to fabricate uh, controversy, controversy to show that they are tolerating and accepting of. And so what easier way to do that than with your children? You don't have to make them physically ill. You don't have to feed them windshield fluid in, in their Gatorade, um, just convince them that they're a, a, you know, a, a trans five-year-old and that you're so, you're so tolerant, you're going to let them change their name. You're going to let them dress up like whatever they want. And I, this will be the end or the downfall of, of Western society. When people put more value on feigning virtue than actually being virtuous, and they put so much more value on tolerance that they're prepared to tolerate atrocities under the pretext of tolerance and humanity, caring for children who are so confused that you're going to allow the kids to mutilate their bodies uh, so that they can express themselves. Um, and I, in as much as TikTok, I believe, uh, I, I agree with Sidney Watson, it's a manufacturer of mental illness. It is a manufacturer of psychological disruption. I know there's a lot of people out there who think it's a deliberate, a deliberate tactic by China that made the app and wants to infiltrate and degrade Western society. And I can very much understand that sentiment. I'm not sure that I'm there yet, but that's not to say that I might not get there. And it's not to say that I think anybody who's there is crazy. I don't. Um, I can understand that idea. There's the idea that it's on purpose, but at the end of the day, whether or not it's on purpose or whether or not it's the nefarious side effect of what is effectively a drug, just happens to be a social media drug, it changes nothing. You sit on TikTok for a little while. I mean, I've got a, I've got a bit of hypochon, uh, you know, uh, hypochondriacy myself with a little insight, so I know, uh, I know when it's happening, but there's people who don't, and there's young kids who are not even developed at that point yet, where they just get down a path and they start thinking that they are effectively suffering from, you know, some form of condition that becomes a, a mental illness, and it's a curated, self-inflicted mental illness.
Um, I was watching, I don't know if you guys know of, um, if you guys know of this, I think it's called, sorry, that's, that's me. I'm just, I want to see if it's Chubby Emu. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't know Chubby Emu, I don't, I, I forget where the name came from. It's a doctor who does these very, very, very good. It's like a thousand ways to die, but you know, more scientific and here, I'll put, I'll put it in here. Um, I, I'm so hypochondriacal. Like I'm watching these chubby emu, you know, the, a guy who gets skin cancer, cuts off his own mole, and then the cancer spreads around his body and he ends up in the hospital. I, I, I can feel myself getting skin cancer. I can feel myself having a heart attack, a stroke. There was one, I, the link I just put there in the chat is um, a kid who accidentally allegedly ate 96 edible gummies thinking they were candies. Oh boy. Anyhow, so, uh, so that's it. The world's gone mad. And... Um, Everything that Dr. Levine said in that intro is true, but of Levine and of the promoters, purveyors, and uh, enablers of this remedy to what is a diagnosable mental disorder. And I say that with no judgment, with, with nothing. I say that with no judgment. Nobody should be judged, discriminated against for their mental disorders. Um, but when medicine starts to cater to those mental disorders, promote them, encourage them, and then lucratively treat them, Houston, we have a problem. Okay. Now, let me just see something here. Uh, do I have my phone? I don't have my phone. I need to see if Robert is in the house. Are we live on the Rumbles? There's a $10 Rumble rant and standard intros. Daddy Dragon, The Fate of Empires, and Search for Survival. I don't know what that is. Sir John Glub, and there's people, there's a, uh, a website. Everybody... How, I, I, how goes the battle? I'm sorry that we uh, started off on that. It's, it's, it's upsetting to watch. And now we're seeing Chloe Cole suing, a detransitioning team suing the doctors. We see the, the Navy SEAL now saying, holy crap, I, I got sucked into this and I did it to myself, but I had a lot of help. Mahuyo, $5 rumble answers. Viva, I would argue that politics has already taken over science, hence the replication crisis. There's no question politics has taken over science. And other people, you mean the vast majority of the rest of humanity, Levine is a fraud on every level that has touched the riot. A $1 rumble rant. Thank you very much. And let me get back to YouTube because I know that we had a couple of rumble super chats here. It's correctly addressed as doctored <laughs> Rachel Levine. The goggles do nothing. Thank you very much. And um, is this admirable... General Kill, you almost got me. Good one. Uh, now, hold on. Let me just make sure that uh, Robert has the link because I don't see him in the backstage. I know that I sent it to him. Let me just go to my sent items. Robert, StreamYard. Okay, I sent it to Robert for sure. Um, standard disclaimers, no medical advice, no legal advice, no election fornification advice. We will be going to Rumble exclusively sooner than later. So there's that. Um, until Robert gets here, let me just take a moment. There's no sponsored item, no sponsored video tonight, except for my own sponsorship. It's not a sponsorship. It is our own merch in time for Christmas. If you go to vivafry.com and you'll see that's me and my lovely wife, that hair is not even six months ago. Stress will do wonders for hair growth. Uh, if anybody wants a shirt, you can go. We got Viva Barnes. Politics ruins everything is the best shirt we've ever made. Um, I, I never wear it and don't get someone saying, you damn right, Viva. 
Uh, you can get all your stuff there. And then we also have Creations by Ziggy. Unique Christmas and Hanukkah stuff. Um, the reason why I say Hanukkah like that is uh, John Lovitz had a great bit on SNL. Oh, Creations by Ziggy for anybody who wants to get some amazing stuff. <sighs> okay. Okay, we're, we're going to start. We're going to get like a, a, a Rakeda type super chat jokes. I make your jokes. I am not, I, 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 I actually kind of, I feel bad for the person. There's no question I feel bad for the person. I do wonder in the, in the Navy SEALs case, if there were other reasons for which um, they might have done that. I don't know what was going on. Oh man, uh, until Robert gets here, who has been following the drama on Twitter? People have, people have lost their ever-loving minds. And there's, there's absolutely no other way of saying it. People have lost their ever-loving minds. You got P- Viva Chia Pet screen grabbed. And let's see if we can make that work. Hold on a second. Let me just get my wife. Marion! Oh. I need my phone. Sorry about that. Um, people have lost their ever-loving minds on Twitter. I've got to bring up, I've got to bring up a few of them. Oh, it's, it's been fun on Twitter lately. Let me just make sure that I can bring it up here. Thank you. I screamed very loud into the uh, <laughs> microphone. Um, let me make sure that Barnes is good. Give me two seconds. Twitter has been fun. The Twitter files never end. And... Um, they're revealing stuff that's out flipping rages. Elon Musk made the news today. For those of you who don't live on Twitter and for those of you who don't want to be on Twitter because it's a toxic hellhole, which it is, um, for those of you who don't know, Elon made the news today because um, <laughs> he said, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci, which is kind of funny. Then you get Richie Torres, who is Congressman, New York 15, born and bred in the Bronx, product of public housing, fighting for people whose struggles were my own. Okay, a laudable, a laudable um, purpose in life. And I, I don't judge this person on any deeper level than the last tweet. The Bronx is essential, Richie Torres for Congress. Okay, Richie Torres then says, Elon Musk, Elon Musk, wants to criminalize Anthony Fauci because he disagrees with him. As if there's anybody in their right mind who thinks that that's what Elon Musk is doing. Elon is no champion of free speech. That is what we call a straw man argument uh, of the highest order. When I have to come to, not that Elon needs me to come to his defense, but I just have to point out that, first of all, um, Elon doesn't want to criminalize anybody. Prosecute versus criminalize are two different things. Prosecute and go through the system. Criminalize means bypass the system to make illegal, but that's, that's too nuanced for Twitter. So I simply said, I'm pretty sure that he wants to criminalize Fauci because Fauci lied under oath, fact, engaged in gain-of-function research in a lab in China, in Wuhan, fact, And for those of you who are going to say he didn't directly engage in any gain-of-function research, um, 
Financing it through third-party NGOs is just a way of concealing. Uh, is just a way of concealing the, the financing, the funding. They did. Others out there are going to say, if they're going to believe Fauci, it wasn't gain-of-function because I have a paper that says it's not gain-of-function. All we did was enhance something to be transmissible from animals to humans. It's gain-of-function. Financed gain-of-function research in a lab in Wuhan, China. Um, some might say that he doesn't want to criminalize Fauci, but just wants to you know, potentially prosecute him because he lied under oath, engaged in gain-of-function, lied about it, financed it, jeopardized the entire planet, and I will say, arguably, because it's arguable and you have to you know, weigh your words on social media, arguably led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, which he did. But no, no, it's, it's, he, he only, it's Elon Musk is, is now not, you know, they, they have to build this narrative that Elon Musk is not a defender of free speech, that he actually wants to stifle free speech. And they do it in the most outrageous, straw man ways conceivable. Uh, Klobuchar is another one jumping on this. Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar, for those of you who don't know who Amy Klobuchar is, U.S. Senator from Minnesota. Amy Klobuchar comes out and says, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dr. Fauci and how he's calmly guided our country through crisis. Remusk tweet, courting vaccine deniers. Oh, my. Got to get with the ad hominem. Got to discredit your adversaries by calling them names. Courting anti-vaxxers. Uh, just vaccine denier. Sorry, she didn't say anti-vaxxers. Got to make sure I get it right. Um, doesn't seem like a smart business strategy, but the issue is this. Could you just leave a good man alone in your seemingly endless quest for attention? Do we, do we notice a, a trend here? He's a poor schmuck. Will you just leave him alone? Jamie Raskin talking about Ray Epps. He's a good man. Will you just leave him alone? Amy Klobuchar talking about gain-of-function Anthony Fauci. Just leave him alone. She's a big fan of Anthony Fauci. Let's see what else um, Klobuchar was a big fan of, because it doesn't, doesn't take much time. Barnes is, Barnes is late, Corn Pop. I just hope Barnes is coming. It doesn't take much time to find previous stupid things that the people who want you to listen to them now, they're saying they're right now. Let's see if they were right in the past. Here's a gem for maybe Klobuchar. July 22nd, when, when they were trying to tell the whole world, get vaccinated to protect grandma because it prevents transmission. But we never said it didn't, we never said it prevented transmission. You're an idiot for thinking we said that. July. I don't know that this was true in July 2021. I might suspect it wasn't, but I don't know. I don't know how they know 97% of people hospitalized with COVID-19 are unvaccinated when they don't even know at that time. I think it was then where Hoshul was coming out and saying, we don't know who's being, vac who's being hospitalized with COVID versus from COVID. We haven't done that, that little, that small detail. We haven't gone through that yet. 97% of people hospitalized with COVID-19 are unvaccinated. 99.5% of people dying of COVID are unvaccinated. Get vaccinated. Protect yourself. Protect your family. But we never told you that vaccination prevents transmission. Here's another beautiful one. Klobuchar talking about misinformation. The bipartisan, this is about Trump and Russia. The bipartisan report reforms what we've known. Russia interfered in the 2016 election to help Donald Trump. Protecting our democracy from foreign interference is vital, which is why we still need to pass my secure life. Uh, 
Uh, what else was it? There was a beautiful one here. Met with experts in Hennepin, yada, yada, as we work to combat the spread of misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. Lies online shouldn't keep people from getting vaccinated. And let's be clear, vaccines are safe and effective. July 26, 2021. To which I, this is, this is news. This is new news. They're doing the trials now on myocarditis. So my, my question to Amy was simply, when, when did we decide that it was safe uh, to the extent that we haven't, uh, Pfizer and I think Moderna also, are now conducting clinical trials to see the extent of myocarditis? When, when did we see, we, the effective part, that goalpost has moved. Effective now no longer means preventing transmission. It means reducing your symptoms if you do it, if you're lucky unless you get other symptoms like myocarditis, one in 5,000 per dose. Uh, but now they're doing those studies. So when they said it was safe and effective and effective turned out to be a moving goalpost, based on what did they say it was safe if we're only now understanding uh, that they're undertaking to do the clinical trials to see the extent to which it might cause myocarditis in young men? Uh, and Barnes is in the back. Let me just get one more gem. Let me just get one more gem. They also have to turn Elon Musk. Listen to this. Listen. They got to turn Elon Musk into public enemy number one. Uh, how do I get to home? Because Elon Musk, he's got he's, he's to be promoting dangerous stuff on, on Twitter. Um, can we all agree that Elon Musk is an apartheid-loving white supremacist? From the same person. I get to swear. Please don't leave me here on my own with these crazy MAGA fucks. These are the people talking about a spike in hate on Twitter. In as much as there might have been any increase of temporary through bot accounts of racist, you know, N-words, K-words, and whatever, part of me really thinks that it's the people who are calling people crazy MAGA fucks that might be the ones putting out these crazy tweets, creating these bot accounts so they can then say, look how terrible it is, these crazy MAGA efforts. Outrageous. Okay, that's, uh, that's the intro rant. It went longer than usual. Do we just go straight over to Rumble before? Let me do one thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read these super chats, and then we're going to go over to Rumble and just go and do it straight on Rumble because we're 30 minutes in, and let's do it. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, oh, my gosh, there's a lot of Rumble. There's a lot of super chats. Okay, let's do this. Uh, Randy King, the word homosexual was coined in 1861 Germany. It led up to the events that triggered World War I. These are facts, folks. Thank you very much, Randy King. Pasha Moyer, I am so embarrassed to have Amy Klobuchar as my senator. What a joke. Is I got that one. Come on. But Barnes, Barnes is here. He's here. He's here. Corn pop. Bro, let's go kayak fishing. Screen grab. I haven't taken the kayak out since I bought it. It's just sitting in the garage. English Constitution Party. Are you or have you spoken about the Brunson versus Adam Oath case? Hopefully the Supreme Court will decide to take it on January 6th. Let's see about that. Melissa Wood, take note, alcohol and tobacco companies, this is your way into bigger market share. Don't forget piercing and tattoos. Uh, are you, or have you spoken about, okay, sorry, I got that one, English Constitution Party, let me grab it. And then one more, Jay Mill, before we head over. It'll be nice if everyone was forced to admit it's not a vaccine and that they changed the definition to safeguard the emergency use of said therapeutic, according to Dr. Kieran Moore. All right, I'm going to bring Barnes in. Robert, sir, how goes All right. it? You got a haircut. Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I've been needing a haircut. <laughs> well, you were looking a little uh, ragged and hippie-ish, Robert. Uh, I think we're just going to end it now and go to Rumble. We'll, we'll just do the entire thing on Rumble. I'm going to go uh, give everyone the link. Uh, everyone, 
let's do this. Here's the link. It's it. It's in the pinned comment as well. I can uh, answer the Brun- the Brunson case is uh, never going to be taken by the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a uh, good. They did good. They did great publicity promoting that case. That case has zero chance at the U.S. Supreme Court. What what is the Brunson case for those of us who don't uh, know? somebody with a, uh, I get it with an eclectic theory to to throw everybody out and so on and so forth and challenge their oaths as Congress. It's it's the kind of case the U.S. Supreme Court was never going to take. So it was just you know it uh, it was good PR. Uh, I'll put it that way. All so right. I had tons of people email me. Hey, what about this case? That case has zero chance. Zero chance. All right. Well, bar- the Barnes bet has been made, and as the uh, as the uh, where is it? Oh, I don't have it here. It says always bet, always bet on Barnes. Uh, okay, we're going to end it on YouTube, people. Move uh, mosey on over to Rumble, and uh, I'm going to end it in three, two, one. Ooh, yeah. All right, Robert. Oh my goodness. Where do, where do we start tonight? We're, we're, we're not getting through 35 cases, but <laughs> where, I, the amount of homework I did today, uh, it, tremendous, but where do we start? What, what do we have on the menu? Like from a hierarchy of importance and based on the locals poll, what do we start with? So uh, the, uh, uh, the, the number one case on the locals case uh, on the locals poll will not be our first case. Cause uh, you gotta, you know, as Alex uh, likes to remind everybody, you gotta keep something at the end for everybody to just hang around and hear all the other good stuff. So, but that'll be the Cary Lake case. We will get to the Cary Lake case, but just in a bit. Uh, we have the vaccine cases relating to the FDA and FOIA, relating to Brooke Jackson and Pfizer. And there's a hearing this week, uh, uh, the uh, Nike being sued for its vaccine mandate. So a couple of uh, vaccine mandate cases, some Supreme Court updates, uh, SCOTUS, free speech in the immigration context, uh, the uh, it, whether or not that can be a crime or not, the Ninth Circuit struck down a law on those grounds the supreme court's going probably going to reverse but also uh, elections i mean does the state legislature have control over certain aspects of the election process or not that oral argument took place at the supreme court this week in addition there's an irs summons case which goes to the heart of privacy and where the irs can just ransack your records anytime they want without even giving you notice or an opportunity to contest it that's up before the u.s supreme court uh, then we have uh, we have the, oh, also in the vaccine context we have the un- unvaccinated blood baby New Zealand case and more and more people being denied donor access including uh, you know babies be, uh, you know, being denied uh, donor access or, or emergency medical treatment based on vaccination status we have uh, Google uh, the whether Google is a public utility in Ohio uh, the court said that case is going to trial in May so they the Google was unsuccessful at getting it dismissed we of course. We'll probably we'll probably start with the Twitter files here in just a bit. Uh, and is it a crime or not? There was a debate there between Sticks and Hammer and uh, Scott Adams uh, a little bit, and some other people about that topic and others. Uh, whether an, a nativity scene can be grounds of a lawsuit? Oh, I thought I thought you were going to talk about the the nativity scene that was desecrated by the Florida man who engaged in sexual activity with his dog and destroyed a nativity scene. I confess that one I did not hear about. Uh, uh, Apple helping out stalkers and getting sued for it with its uh, one of its new devices. Uh, we have religious issues at graduation, religious Catholic schools uh, having to deal with gender identity issues in, in uh, Michigan. We have Rumble. And Rumble and locals both sued the state of New York over their hate speech law uh, that's supposed to come into force. Uh, actually, already has December 3rd. Uh, Col- you know, Columbus statutes, the Loudoun County Grand Jury Report. Uh, we have Hertz having to settle. Bal- Balenciaga getting caught with that, you know, promoting, you know, what looked like CP to some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sued and then all of a sudden dropped the suit. We have street vendors suing. We got professors in pronouns. We have our first big trans malpractice, medical malpractice lawsuit. 
Uh, we got Children's Protective Services telling people that they leave their let their kids play outdoors. They they could come in and take away your children. I cannot believe that that I, that whole situation. But there's details to it. It's like disgruntled neighbors who happen to work for CPS, which yeah, never it makes it even well. worse. Uh, and then we got Hong Kong or uh, death penalties in Haran uh, to protesters. Hong Kong uh, protest leaders being jailed. Uh, and a range. And then, of course, we have the Lord of War being traded for the WNBA stuff. Well, let, let's, I, I know some people say they're not interested in it. Let's just actually start with Lord of War, uh, Victor Boot, and Brittany Griner. Um, nobody wants to hear about Brittany Griner. Fine. I mean, we, I've talked about it enough and, and how preposterous of a trade it was. You know what, Robert, before we get to Victor Boot, and it'll, it'll segue in, how, how preposterous, humiliating of a trade is this? Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's it it it's very revelatory from the Russian perspective. Um, so the I mean, to those that don't know, the uh, Russians uh, had locked up several different people, but the two prominent ones America wanted back. One was uh, Paul Whelan. He was arrested on espionage charges in Russia. The he his family, he his family uh, in the U.S. dispute that he was engaged in the espionage. Former Marine, a little bit of an odd history which I discussed a bit uh, on Free Form Friday with uh, Mark Grobert and Eric Hunley. You can find uh, on their unstructured.locals.com channel, as well as uh, their YouTube channel, the America's Untold Stories channel, which had a good G. Gordon Liddy uh, story, last, some great G. Gordon Liddy stories last week. Um, but the, uh, the, and then of course, the man known as the Lord of War, because he was the basis for the film that Nicolas Cage played in, uh, also colloquially called the Merchant of Death, there's some dispute as to exactly how much of an arms runner he really was. There's some that say he was even worse than uh, the portrayed in the film. There's others that say it's greatly exaggerated. He himself says, you know, people just hop on his plane and it's like, George, what are you doing with all those guns back there? He's like, golly, I keep trying to tell him, don't bring the guns, George. The uh, or that, that appears to be his excuse. But a very intelligent individual, as is revealed with his RT interview with Marina I think it's Putina, if I recall the last name correctly, who was also uh, detained in the U.S. and was shipped back to Russia. But originally, U.S. was demanding a one-for-two deal. They would send Victor Bout to Russia in exchange for both Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner, the WNBA star who got picked up on, va on having drugs contained in some vaping materials. Uh, she pled guilty. Paul Whelan did not. Whelan serving a longer sentence and a harsher conditions. Uh, Russia made it clear they would do one for one. There's other Russians in U.S. custody that they want traded back so that they'll but they're not well, doing they, any one for two, one for three, one for four deals. And so Biden came back. Griner was the one. Uh, Brittany Griner is a uh, black lesbian WNBA celebrity charged on uh, drug charges. That puts her in a lot of Democratic check the box categories. She also had very effective, aggressive advocates. Paul Whelan, by contrast, has a bit of a sketchy past. Uh, purportedly endorsed Trump in 2016. So there was very little mojo for him, though his pedigree sounded like a more gr stronger grounds to bring back let, let if me, he actually was a spy. Let me stop you there just for one second, because I know I mean, I know that I can't verify everything. People on the left are saying Whelan was a thief or something. Like, it, it, what, what are the sketchy things of his history that are legit, that are unknown? Oh. or? You know, you know, he's Canadian, by the way. Well, I did know that. I mean, especially, well, people are saying Victor Boot should be Canadian with a name like that. But I knew he's Canadian. I actually, I, I saw that, that he came down to the States. And I, I, I knew that part of it, um, which is interesting. Yeah, he, has, he carries four passports. His parents are of Irish descent who, who lived in Britain, who moved to Canada and in the U.S. 
That is why he has Irish passports, British passports, Canadian passports, and United States passports. Um, he was, uh, he said, you know, he answered in depositions once that he had served in a bunch of police capacities. Then those police agencies came back and said, no, he didn't. Uh, so that's just one part of it. Volunteered for the Marines. Uh, uh, the appears to have been uh, dishonorably kicked out of the Marines. But after he's dishonorably kicked out, discharged from the Marines, he gets these high-end intelligence security gigs for big companies. I can tell you historically, that usually means you're a spook. So the, uh, uh, the, that's what his resume reads like to me. Uh, one of those classic gray space, James Elroy characters, Frank Sturgis types, uh, you kind of, uh, even a G Gordon Liddy type. Uh, so it's not, it. so he was over in Russia. He claimed he was there for a wedding. He didn't go to certain wedding events. The Russians made fun of his defense uh, publicly. Cause like the, his, the, he, he received, he was caught receiving a USB, uh, stick from a decently high-ranking FSB person who he purportedly had pre previously told people he had special relationship with. Uh, he said he thought he was just getting photos of like churches and cathedrals and you know tourism photos. That didn't sell well over in Russia. They were quite convinced he was engaged in espionage, but it was not clear whether it was governmental espionage or industrial espionage. Uh, but again, a lot of your spook types uh, moonlight or front for private corporations and companies. So that that his his resume reads to me like an Oswald type spook operator, mm -hmm. um, and the but to the Russians it was absurd that you would say please send me the uh, the uh, the the drug addict uh, what they consider sexual deviant under their laws, uh, not your hero spy, in exchange for who you think is one of the greatest arms runners in the history of the world. Um, that they then so they were just laughing. I mean, like they, on the Russian media, they're like, ah, you know, poor Paul Whelan. He has three things going against him: he's white, he's male, and he's heterosexual. Who, who uh, was Biden's never going to trade for him? Who was the woman that said that? I didn't know who she was, but she spoke, you know, quite eloquently. And I, I'm told that the translation uh, it, was quite accurate. A lot of the Russian, uh, a lot the, uh, there's a lot of Russian commentary channels. It's more the Russian media is more in the European model than the American model. So you get these channel, a lot of their news channels are three to four to five people sitting around these sort of like big round areas talking to one another. Um, mm -hmm. And we don't, you know, it's like our old meet the press model, but not the same. Uh, and we, we don't have that quite the same model. Well, it's a little it's bit CNN does on occasion. Does that I was gonna say, it's, it was sort of like the view, except with actual yeah, brains. Because yeah. whether or not you the like view the is Russians. very much in the European style, just much lower intellect. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so hold on a second. So Whelan does have a bit of a, a colored history. Four passports. Oh, I already find that very suspicious. Uh, so they come in and then they say, we're not doing a one for two. We're doing a one for one, which sort of suggests, as I've heard, they were amenable to a two for two and Biden oh, just yes, said, they that. said specifically, yeah, they, they, they would, they would have sent Whelan back if the, if one other Russian would have been sent back and the other Russian was not that high profile mm -hmm. from a U.S. perspective. Now, by the way, the Victor Bout prosecution was highly, highly dubious by the United States. So the two other things that people should know about Victor Bout is it's long believed that Victor Bout was working for the U S I mean, the, the movie that he worked for, he was a freelancer. Uh, it was a freelance. Most of your arms traffickers are freelancers. They work for whoever the highest bidder is. And there was a long talk that, you know, when the Soviet Union fell apart, uh, the U.S. wanted to sort of poach off the best military assets, including uh, arms runners and arms themselves. 
out of uh, the old Soviet Union. He's actually, I think he was born in Ukraine, if I recall correctly. And and that's what, and he was one of the best. And he's a pilot. A lot of those guys tend to be pilots, Barry Seal types. You're, you're great smugglers because you, you need pilots to smuggle in drugs, to smuggle in guns, to smuggle in people, to smuggle in money or smuggle out any of those things, as well as to be useful in military affairs. So that's why a lot of these guys end up being pilots in multiple contexts or show up connected to pilots. And the and Bout was one of the best. Uh, I mean, you listen to his interview he did with RT, very uh, intelligent, informed interview. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with all of his perspective, but it gives you a real sense of what the Russian perspective is. Uh, what Bout really did to offend the U.S. was he quit working for us. <laughs> that, that, that's what he did. Putin around 08, 09, didn't want any more of that activity going on of arms trafficking to the West without his without the government doing it right i mean again the biggest gun traffickers and arms traffickers in the world are the governments u.s is number one by a long mile uh, not far behind is russia not too far behind that is israel i mean there's a lot of these countries that are in the gun making business um but the and so uh but that's what ticked them off so they set up a completely bogus entrapment in thailand that had no u.s connection i'm a, i came across that case not knowing it was connected to the lord of war i'd been a fan of the movie uh, saying, why? how in the world? This is like the uh, FIFA case, but even worse. How, how do we have jurisdiction here? Because this is a Russian citizen meeting people in Thailand about sending foreign arms to Latin America. And it's like, what does that have to do with the United States? How do we have jurisdiction here? This is, by the way, what, what angered the Russians so much about the Bout case. It wasn't his success as a gunrunner they wanted back. It was the fact that they were enraged that they that the, the U.S. felt they had global criminal jurisdiction, roving criminal jurisdiction with no tie to the U.S. And uh, so they arrested him. The, the charges as the U.S. federal judge acknowledged were bogus. What she said is that the, this this is a, she gave the lowest possible sentence because she said this sentence this is really a technical crime. The, you know, the, none of this was ever going to happen. Everybody involved was a government agent. It was it was as close to entrapment as you could get. Now, of course, if you have a prior inclination to commit the crime, entrapment's not a defense. But it was a practical entrapment kind of case. Uh, also, they they violated Thailand extradition procedures. Basically, the U.S. put massive pressure on Thailand because initially they weren't going to extradite him because they shouldn't and sh couldn't legally under Thailand's extradition treaties with the U.S. But they got massive pressure, so they stuck him on a plane, and that was it. He told him, he said, "The U.S. Empire will collapse before I end up in the uh, before I'm uh, still in a U.S. prison." Uh, I mean, I mean, he he was a confident son of a gun, and by golly, he turned out right. He, you could see that you could see that Cheshire grin when he was hopping off that plane, and he was happy to do the interview. And it was all Putin talking points. Ah, the U.S. a hopeless cause. They're bunch, they're like the USSR from the 1980s. They're all about you know drug addicts, and they got men pretending to be women, and it's disgusting. It's just you know this whole rant he did, which was kind of a funny rant, but it was, it was uh, embarrassing to Biden because of who he traded the world, the person we called the merchant of death and the Lord of war for uh, a basketball player, a woman's basketball player. It, it, you know, it, and people think that that's sort of like a, a, a degrading way or a denigrating way to, to speak of Brittany Griner. But I, I say the idea to equate the two on political importance is itself insulting to Brittany Griner. It's like, okay, Brittany, what you did was as bad. You were as politically valuable as, um, what's, what's, as Victor Booth. To her, that's logical, right? I, I'm an important person. I represent, uh, you know, the ultimate woke values, um, you know, the uh, black lesbian uh, uh, occasional drug user, um, you know, the uh, so uh, but I, it won't hurt Biden within the Democratic Party. There was a lot of pressure for him to get Greitner back. 
Uh, I still think that it's not a coincidence they snagged Griner. Um, I'm not buying that Russian argument that, oh, yeah, it just happened to be at the airport. Yeah, right. The uh, But uh, Putin read Biden well. He knew exactly who to get to get people back he wants. But the real reason he wanted Bout back was as a statement against that method of global groving jurisdiction. And I, I've never been a fan of those cases. I don't think Bout was rightfully criminally prosecuted in the United States, period. It's interesting. And, and now people have said that he's been in jail, Bout has been in jail for 14 years, lost all of his criminal contacts. He's not ever going to be able to go back to the arms running industry, Robert. I mean, uh, if he wanted, he could, yeah. I mean, I, he's, he, he, that man was skilled. That man had unique skills. It wasn't just a matter of who he knew and how he developed those reputations. He was a heck of a pilot, could handle things in extraordinary circumstances, knew how to group. It just why I recommend people watch that interview. Does that look like a guy who's been in prison for as long as he's been? He comes out years. talking smooth, talking informed, talking, you know, natural, looks in good shape. So the uh, this you know he looks like the Tulsa King you know uh, Sylvester Stallone uh, that new TV show that this guy was ready to rock I mean this guy has a natural set of skills that that's a, that's my I I don't uh, I I I'm not sure he was as big as some people made him out to be but I don't buy the Russian excuse he was a Russian businessman who had some bad luck with some extra luggage <laughs> not buying that whatsoever uh, fantastic okay so that that is uh, everything anybody needs to know about. The Victor Boot, Brittany Griner exchange. Who do we have left? Uh, who do we? Sorry. Who does America have left that would be sufficiently important oh, to get? Oh, about a half dozen Russians that we have in custody on some questionable grounds, to be honest. Okay. All right. There's a lot of criticism of the Russians playing, you know, hostage roulette, that kind of thing. And it's like this, Putin, this has been in reaction to what the U.S. has done over the past half day, past decade or so. Well, I'm, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to Russia anytime soon, but I'm certainly not bringing vape in. Robert, people were saying that she brought in vape uh, it was medicinal or suggesting it was medicinal, but I don't believe that. I think they're just suggesting that. All this was I think saying she was. Got a, she got used to getting away with it. And now, now they said there was enough there to distribute. And maybe that was a side income. Mm -hmm. My guess is, is that she had, she, she'd been there many times to Russia and they'd never. My guess is Russia knew it and they had been letting it happen and then just decided, eh, eh why don't we pick her up? Eh, Biden will trade for her. Nine years for that. All right. Fantastic. Uh, okay, everybody, that's enough on Brittany Griner, Victor Boot. Uh, go. I, I was trying to find the interview. I can't find it just yet, but I'll find it and post it to locals uh, afterwards. Uh, Robert, Twitter. There has been. I know everybody's sort of also. That was number two in the locals poll. The Twitter well, files and what the legal consequences might be. So this is the question now, Scott Adams, and, and I'm not calling anybody out. I, this it's a legitimate question. Hmm. Uh, I believe it's Scott Adams, or maybe it was Sticks. There were a few people on the he internet. He and Sticks saying, and Hammer were debating it, and then I think he blocked Sticks and Hammer. I don't think. Well, the question is this: Is there a crime there? You got some people. The David A. French is saying, "Oh, this is just a, a private company exercising their First Amendment rights." Is there a crime? I've been. Uh, um, who was it? It's Robert Gouveia, who who is making an argument for. Uh, disguised uh, campaign contributions, so some form of election fraud or, or, or campaign finance fraud. Um, and I forget what the other arguments were offhand, but is there a crime here? If it's if it's the government... The censorship itself, no. Um, and, and because I'm not a fan of broadening and liberalizing our... Uh, now, I mean, according to the standards that were being used against Trump, yes because they were trying to say Don Jr.'s meetings with people constituted in-kind contributions of values of information. Remember all that nonsense yeah. in that set of meetings? My view has always been the same. First Amendment should radically restrict the scope of campaign finance laws. And we shouldn't call everything somebody does that helps a candidate a donation. It needs to be a donation, period. 
It's not a donation and shouldn't be covered, period. Because otherwise, that's a very dangerous power to give the state and it will inevitably hurt First Amendment rights. So I don't think anything Twitter did in the censorship capacity was criminal or even necessarily illegal. Now, it might have been by the government. To the degree the government was ordering it, that's a First Amendment violation by the government. Where Twitter executives are in trouble, uh, and I think a lot of these people are talking about they can sue Twitter now. I, I don't necessarily agree with that either. I think you could sue I, the I, government, federal well, government, if you can prove. But again, this is already happening. Robert Kennedy's already bringing these suits. You know, uh, they, there's not enough in the Twitter file so far to show that they were commanding it. It still looks to be collusive more than coercive. My view is that should be enough to be a First Amendment violation that you can sue the government to do. And you could enjoin Twitter from continuing to censor. Um, but the courts have not gone there yet. So it's going to depend on Bobby Kennedy's case in the Ninth Circuit and probably up at the U.S. Supreme Court, ultimately, uh, is when does the government cross the line? When is collusion coercion? When is collusion uh, doing what Jonathan Turley calls surrogate First Amendment violations? Mm -hmm. But where the executives are in trouble, individual executives, including Jack Dorsey, including that Yole, that freaky Yole guy, whatever that guy's last I can't remember that his last name. Is it that Yol fake lawyer? That Ruff. is that lawyer. I mean, she's a real lawyer, but she was a bad lawyer. Uh, the, the, the lawyer who was coordinating this. The problem is they, my guess is Jack Dorsey's statements, he was maybe not even fully aware. So there may not be criminal liability for him, but for whoever prepped him. Because Twitter officially in a corporate capacity through these individuals and lawyers, including James Baker, the former FBI lawyer who was working at Twitter, uh, who apparently may have tried to destroy documents while he was working at Twitter to keep them from being part of the Twitter files because he was pre-screening it to hide the FBI's role in co uh, coercing and collusively uh, censoring uh, President Trump and his supporters in a range of topics on COVID and, uh, and on election integrity. But is the problem is they made affirmative statements to the Federal Elections Commission. They made affirmative statements before Congress. They made affirmative statements to investors in SEC filings. And those statements consistently said, we're, there's no censorship, period, going on. Not only that, that, any, that our rules are applied completely neutrally, neutrally without any regard to party or politics. Those were false statements. And many of them are made under penalty of perjury. So that's where Twitter have some criminal exposure. They lied to Congress. They lied to their investors. They lied to the Federal Election Commission. They may have lied to the court in the Elon Musk in the Twitter case. So that, that's where they face serious criminal exposure. Now, they're not going to face it as long as the Biden administration's in power, but they may face it once the Biden administration is not. Uh, and, and I was going to say earlier that I was one of the ones suggesting or you know, contemplating the idea that what Elon is disclosing could expose Twitter as an entity to, 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 to suit. Um, the corporate, the donations in, in kind, or, you know, the idea is you're saying it should, first amendment should not be uh, considered a contribution. So somebody wants to run an ad for a candidate, they should be allowed to do it. It shouldn't count as any form of contribution to that campaign. Oh, uh, one caveat on that. The general rule on elections is you can't coordinate with the campaign. So to the extent they do determine that this was something of value to the campaign, one problem that uh, the Twitter executives have is that they were coordinating with the Biden. Exactly. Uh, well, they were, they were coordinating with the DNC, which was, you know, some, people, DNC, both. some people's arguments for it's not a uh, state coercion because the DNC is a private, private political entity. That's true. But, but if they're if they're the problem is the government side of the collusion. OK, it's interesting. So they were meeting with the FBI daily. 
in the FBI testimony in the uh, Louisiana, Missouri case is that they were, in fact, ordering people removed. And yeah. here's the only reason why they didn't show up in the first round of the Twitter files is because James Baker uh, may have tried to destroy or delete those files or block those files from Matt Taibbi's access. The Now, my theory was that, you know, it just showed Elon Musk was still naive about who was at Twitter. Eric Hunley's theory was that he was trying to out Jim Baker, that he was going to give that he was going to create risk for Baker by letting Baker have the opportunity to expose himself, which clearly Baker did. And Baker, for those people who don't know, was general counsel to James Comey, helped coordinate Russiagate, helped cover up Spygate. Same guy. The, the level of corruption is unfathomable, Robert. It's unfathomable. And you've got people saying, no big deal. Uh, I'm getting bored of this. Move on. It, okay. Uh, so there is an argument for campaign contribution, finance laws, but you, you're not a fan of them. Uh, collusion. Some people are saying fascism because it's literally, you know, collusion between state and government, a state and private company. But that's not, a, I don't know, fascism is not a crime. Uh, tr- I mean, treason, n- none of these words that people no. are throwing around are going to have any. None of that has any application whatsoever. And there's not clear grounds to sue Twitter in many of these contexts. And I'm not sure why they would now. And it was what, what would be the point to reinstate your account? I mean, to, to go at Elon Musk for exposing it. I mean, that'd be kind of weird. I see people talking about that. I don't quite understand it. I think, and I know James Woods talking about suing the Democratic National Committee. Not quite sure what the legal theory would there be. I think there are potential claims against federal government actors. I think that's clearly the case. Uh, but I think otherwise, the the more liability is criminal exposure on the backside for false representations to members of Congress. All right, and also let the um, the advertiser oh, wanted to let us know it sticks Hexen. Hammer. Hammer 666. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sticks, Hexen. Man, I mean, come on, Sticks. I'm going to call him Sticks. He, go, he, go, he, he goes by Sticks. But yeah, Sticks, Hexen, Hammer, H-E-X-E-N-H-A-M-M-E-R, 666. He's into the occultish stuff, which is where the name came from. Um, okay, so very, that's it's it's fascinating. The corruption is staggering and astonishing. Um, and we'll, we'll see where it goes with the next the next Twitter file dump. Uh, I guess it's a good segue, Robert, into the um, the lawsuit to have Google recognized as a utility. Uh, I forget what state that's coming out. Is that Ohio? Ohio? So l- the lawsuit, it's interesting. It's proceeding. It is basically an injunctive relief or de- declaratory judgment to declare that Google is effectively a utility and should be treated as such uh, so that they can't go around and like open people's mail to decide who gets to send what, et cetera, et cetera. The, I read through the lawsuit. It's very interesting, and I'm not. I, I'm yeah, not optimistic. Law. I mean, what happened this week was just the court said we're going to trial on this, denied the motion to dismiss. What do you I, think about the lawsuit itself? Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I just practically speaking, don't know how a, a successful uh, a judgment on the merits would materialize. So you get a permanent inju- a declaratory judgment saying, "Oh, it's all the public utility laws are then applied to them," and that there's a whole bunch of those in Ohio, and so things like political non discrimination. A bunch of things, all it falls on on Ohio. It doesn't okay. apply outside of Ohio. This this claim, but it would have major impacts on Google's ability. They couldn't censor very easily at all, Google or YouTube anymore in Ohio if Ohio wins this suit in May. Uh, but I mean, internal. How would you verify that that Google is not doing it? It would involve lifting up the hood to Google to make sure yeah, that they're running they itself. Would, they'd be subject to regulatory restraint, re, uh, re, uh, request for information, so on and so forth. 
Well, I, I, I'm skeptical or cynical. I don't think it's going to succeed, I, I, but it's nice to read. It's fun to read. And I, I, I don't know. Is there anything, I guess there is uh, meaningful stuff that can be outed in evidence. So getting to trial is, is itself going to be a victory because they're going to have uh, witnesses. They're going to have evidentiary hearings. So we'll see some stuff that we might not have oh, already yeah. seen. Absolutely. And it'll be an, it's an interesting theory to see it go through the legal system. And it's coming to terms with the problem of big tech monopoly power. Which, you know, another example of uh, is, you know, Apple was sitting there thinking, ha, ah, man, you know, what, what, what device would be really good to help the poor little stalker out there? You know, the stalker is trying to stalk somebody, but everybody's interfering with their ability to stalk. And, and the, uh, I mean, it's part of their control grid mindset. And what was their device they created? Air something, right? I got it right here. Um, air, air, air drop. Air, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, I, I uh, think so. Oh, air tag. It's still called AirTag. It's actually called Tag. So they created Apple AirTag last year. And Apple AirTag is this little device that not internet connected, but Bluetooth connected. And it connects to all the other Apple phones. And so if you want to uh, tag somebody, you can just stick that little tag somewhere on something that's on their device without them even realizing it. And you can within 100 feet know where they are at all times. So oh, it's a wow. dream for stalkers. I never, it's the, it's the chip that you, it's a sticker that you, it's something you put on it so that you can geolocate ah. your phone. Yeah. Yeah. You probably know. Yeah, you probably got one on all your kids. I, 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 I wish I had one on my phone or my, uh, my drone for the, I should put one on my drone. Cause that way, if I lose it in the glaze, I'll be able it's to good find for it. your pets. And it reminds me of the Vera chip that they wanted to put on under your skin. <laughs> you know, they said, yeah, you don't want your kid to get kidnapped or anything. It's like, wow, what a great, uh, that I want a chip under my skin that, that, that anybody can track. <laughs> Robert, you, time. You, I don't don't think so. to, you don't have to carry a wallet around. You go and you just flash your hand and you'll get food or you won't get food. If you've been having a little bit too much to think. Um, so, uh, sorry. So what's what, they're getting, they're getting sued for this massive uh, class action, uh, on the grounds that it violates, uh, certain electronic tracking laws under California law, that it's, uh, unjust enrichment. Uh, basically the, the, the legal claim is Apple is facilitating, knowingly facilitating a, a, uh, criminal behavior and helping stalkers harass, uh, people, particularly domestic violence situations. And and the Apple lied when they said it was stalker proof. I don't know how they tag that they advertise stalkers like no way it's gonna be stalker proof. But it's another way they're using geolocation information of their Apple phones, coordinating those to create a map. Where uh, and now they've added this other little device through Bluetooth, adding Bluetooth components to it, tied into Apple phones that can uh, basically help uh, trace and track anybody, any place, anywhere, anytime. Usually without their knowledge, right? That's the point. Uh, of this it's not like i need to know where i'm at uh so it's it's uh having a the, the this tag is so you're you're tracking other people and that's one of the criticisms now the question is at what point are companies responsible for the criminal use of their mm -hmm. goods and i i think people like apple who have pushed gun control laws might want to start second guessing the wisdom of pushing all these suing gun companies for the misuse of guns, criminal misuse of guns, uh, because there's a lot of technology that is more commonly criminally misused each day than guns are. And so the uh, once you open that door, it's a dangerous door to open. Now, they're being sued because they made specific statements that appear to be false. And I think that's the most problematic aspect of the suit. But it, it's it's what happens when you open the door to being held liable for the criminal misapplication of your product. 
Robin, it's, it's not going to be uh, a segue. It's just going to be the question that I have to ask. The big news, everyone's running around Twitter over the last week saying Trump has been found guilty on fraud. The walls are closing in. It's yada, yada, yada. Can you clarify uh, what exact, which entities were found guilty? What's going to be the scope of this finding and what is not going to be the scope of the finding? So it's today's, but the Trump, so a Trump organization, high ranking chief financial, I think it might have been the chief financial officer, but a high ranking financial officer was uh, doing pretty small scale tax evasion for himself using the Trump organization to do so. And he has already separately pled guilty. He publicly testified that uh, the Trump, nobody at Trump knew about it. It, to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of minor tax evasion kind of stuff. It's, you know, taking school things, school bills as 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 uh, corporate expenses, things like that. Clearly, they profited him. They didn't profit the Trump org. It's mostly a way to just create more uh, negative impression around Trump organization. This kind of thing would almost never become a criminal case typically. And uh, the and they just, you know, love bashing, using it to bash Trump. But it has no impact on Trump. Uh, to, you know, they'll pay a small fine, 1.5, 1.6 million, but that's because of the other guy's conduct that he's indemnified Trump organization for probably. So he'll probably end up paying it one way, shape or form. And it's mostly much ado over nothing intended just to smear Trump in New York. And that's this, it. this is, this is the guy that was, you know, using finances to pay for his private schooling, his, his, his yeah, kids, no. private schooling. Oh, he was calling goodness. him corporate expenses when they weren't, but it, that was for his personal profit. That didn't benefit Trump org at all. It's so amazing because I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading the headlines. I'm like, I, I think I would have known about this if it were what they say it is. It's the, it's the fucking guy that was, that was expensing family expenses, not declaring it, paying, you know, personal expenses. Okay. Interesting. Uh, which case is it? Is it the New York's um, civil lawsuit that's accusing Trump of having overinflated the the price of his assets yeah, to that's get loans? The attempt to seize a quarter, seize all of his assets, uh, and seize Trump organization, and, and put a receiver in charge, and to have him pay like a quarter of a billion dollars, uh, based on something that where there is no victim, there's so, no victim at all. People, I've been mean, having sort of a discussion. I know the extent of my knowledge, but. There's some factual elements that I'm not sure about. The extent to which he overvaluated his assets for the purposes of loans. I presume you overinflate your, or you you overassess your own assets so you can get a bigger loan, better interest rates, etc. Uh, the bank, to the extent you repay it, doesn't really care. The accusation, however, is that he's lying well, it's about not only that. Yeah, it was even if you went down to as low as they want it to be, the lowest possible uh, value. It was still far more than the loan was valued. That's why. That's what it was inconsequential to the loan. The, seen, it was not material to the loan at all. But that's, that's why I'm they seeing, couldn't bring criminal charges against Trump. Okay, but that's the thing. I'm seeing like he overvaluated certain properties by three thousand percent, and I can't. I I don't have the details to know. Um, and a lot of that is it's again it's uh, it's New York real estate. It's is exaggeration a crime? Exaggeration is a crime if I know. I mean, saying that I think my va- um, that my brand, my personal name brand, is worth a billion dollars—that's a pretty darn subjective opinion. So the an objective lie is to say uh, this has been assessed by a third-party assessment organization at one hundred and twenty-five thousand when it's twenty-five thousand. Right? Mm-hmm. That's materiality of crime, particularly if I'm trying to borrow, say, fifty thousand. Um, uh, the now it's not material. If I'm trying to borrow five thousand and I tell you I have a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar house, one hundred twenty-five thousand in equity, I have twenty-five thousand in equity because your loan is still secured at a great ratio. 
And that, that's what Trump had. That's why all these statements were kind of inconsequential. Trump is infamous, like all salesmen, for exaggeration. And the, especially in New York real estate. I mean, if you would have told people 20 years ago some of these properties would be worth a billion dollars, they would have said you're nuts. But now they are. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's written New York real estate valuation. You're going to get into the, uh, the, 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 all of that, especially who he was dealing with. He was dealing with some of the most sophisticated banks in the world, so the massive law firms. They knew exactly what the score was. Well, that's the, so that I had two questions about that to make sure I even understand what I don't understand. He's, he's overinflating because he has his own appraisers. He has his own appraisers or evaluators. They say it's worth X. The yeah. bank doesn't extend loans just based on the warranties no. and representations of so they have their own appraisal say okay fine it, we, we disagree but whatever we're, we're all doesn't professionals matter more than enough equity because he's his loans were real low level to equity which uh, i think surprised probably some people okay. he was always good at keeping after he went to the bankruptcy and the rest he was very good at main at not getting into a situation where the banks would own him uh okay but that, that so that's one end of it then the other end where they say he's sucking and blowing is he overestimates for loans, but then underestimates for property taxes. Robert, that's is it, pretty much everybody, but, well, but, uh, but that's it. Am I, am I over- evidentiary standards? Those are totally different standards. Different. Well, but, but am I still not, uh, you know, oversimplifying it by saying, okay, so the owner underestimates it, but that's why you have municipal evaluations. That's why you have government evaluations. They also don't just rely on the warranties and representations of the and, landowner. And they always go low anyway. I mean, almost, almost, uh, uh invariable because it's being, it's for different for tax purposes. You have one basis of appraisal for sale purchases uh, for valuation. You have a whole different valuation. It's not the same standard. That's why those two don't really match up well. You know, I mean, where that becomes a tr- trouble for someone is if they report their income differently. Right. They tell the bank their income is a quarter million a year. And then they tell the IRS they're making 25 grand a year. Ah, well, that's a problem. That's a discrepancy. But you have two different appraisal standards as to what you think the value of a particular property is worth versus what the government's appraisal standards for taxation purposes are, which are totally different. So that was another reason why they couldn't find it. There was no basis to bring criminal charges against him. So instead, they just want to make his life miserable and harass him and harangue him. But he did at least get a judge recognize that he had committed no contempt in regards to those subpoenas out of the District of Columbia for documents. Uh, the government Justice Department tried to get Trump held in contempt and the court rejected it, which is seriously undermines any criminal charges they might try to bring related to that. Because if it wasn't contempt, I don't know how it could be criminal obstruction. Okay. Well, I mean, that answers a bunch of questions that you see people, they're just, it's just low level information on Twitter. People just say, oh, Trump or Trump found guilty on all accounts of fraud, but it's the Trump org, the, the fraud of the accountant, uh, a non-issue, and then conflating all of these tax issues to say that he overestimates, to say that he's rich and then underestimates. What, what if any, underestimation impacted whatever he would have to pay by way of taxes? In in a potential, uh, uh, I mean, they, they, they didn't find any basis that he had underpaid taxes. I mean, that, that, I mean that, that's the giveaway that they don't have anything there. They're okay. trying to suggest something to a unsophisticated audience. Well, it's, if it, they had mission, tax evasion, they would have filed tax evasion. Mission accomplished on Twitter. It's it's nuts. You go down the rabbit hole. Well, of, of course, the, because they want to believe all bad things about Trump. So, <sighs> um, Robert, how high up on the scale did uh, the medical malpractice lawsuit of Chloe Cole? factor in we'll get to it anyhow because it fits in with the yeah. intro where we I, uh, went we, we talked about this stuff in the intro uh chloe cole represented by harmeet dylan and another lawyer who i'm not i'm not forgetting to be disrespectful i'm just forgetting because i know harmeet and her name better um they sent their notice of intention to file suit 
to the doctors for medical malpractice and other things. They got 90 days. Is this a procedure that is required under, uh, I don't know what state this is in. Is this in California? California. California. Is, this a, is this a requirement, a procedural requirement, or is it a courtesy uh, for PR? Well, usually in person, I don't know if it's a requirement. Uh, I haven't done a medical, medical malpractice. I've done other kinds of malpractice cases in California, but not medical. Um, I would say in the personal injury space, it is pretty commonplace that you issue a demand letter and you and you give a certain time frame of response and 90 days is pretty typical. So I don't know if it was just follow the custom and practice of that, giving them an opportunity to remedy and settle and resolve the issue, the insurer usually, uh, before suit is filed or whether it's something that's procedurally required in California. Okay, so one way or the other, it's a, uh, what is it, 11 pages? It's, it's, it's a notice of intent to sue, which is which has all of the details of what is going to be the lawsuit to come out of it. Um, and they're going after medical malpractice, but but I, I think mostly and interestingly, the vitiated consent in that Chloe Cole is not suing her parents. They're they're suing the doctors. They're saying the doctors misinformed us, but also that there were deficiencies in the waivers where they were going to say we could not have consented and we were not acting in full awareness of fact and law because we weren't given all of the facts. And so you therefore induced us into error, even if we signed these medical waivers or these um, uh, consent forms. I don't have enough experience to know the threshold required to get out of these consent forms. Typically, I, you know, I would presume that they're sort of blankets and coveralls. And to get out of them, you're going to have to show some concrete omissions, material omissions. But I mean, what do you think of the argument, the strategy that they're going to say, you, you didn't inform us when we signed this that there was a, a great likelihood that Chloe would grow out of this. You didn't inform us of the horrible side effects of the procedure, the, the, the pain, the scarring. Uh, and therefore, any consent we gave you is null and void. Uh, how do you think that's going to go? Yeah, I mean, even worse. I mean, they, that according to the letter, the doctors uh, told her, uh, told the parents that they can choose between a dead boy and a live girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, no, dead, 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 dead girl, live boy. That was the uh, dead girl, live boy. Right. Exactly. Um, I mean, that that's extraordinary coercive kind of statement and definitely goes against the premise of informed consent. Now, there's two ways to attack this. One is the informed consent argument. Many words informed consent originate from medical malpractice as a form of tort of battery, that it's a battery because you've been physically invaded in your body. Uh, be and, and without your consent, and that consent had to be informed. And for it to be informed, it means all risks, all benefits, both sides have to be given to you. This is one of the issues that's now up before the Nike mandate, vaccine mandate lawsuit too, um, in the vaccine context. So here, they, so that's one approach is that this was not informed consent. So that this was classic battery, classic medical malpractice of that type because they did not get informed consent because the informed part wasn't there. The second part is medical malpractice of standard of care, which is that a doctor acting within a reasonable professional standard of care would have given them more information than they were given and would not have made certain statements that they, they, the doctors did make. And so I think they'll have enough there to get to a jury trial. I'm sure they'll have the medical experts align that will test, attest to that. There's already medical experts across the globe that have been warning about this and saying this is coming saying that doctors got so caught up with the politics of this, they were doing bad medicine. They were not giving people informed consent. They were coercing kids, coercing parents under threat that their, you know, their person would commit suicide if they don't go and do this immediately. 
They were not telling them of the downside. They were not telling them of the upside of alternatives. Because one of the key parts of informed consent that Harmeet details in the letter is you're supposed to give them alternatives. This is also an issue in the vaccine mandate case. It's also the issue in the FDA emergency authorization case. Children's Health Defense has pending in the Western District of Texas. And another one that's about to go up to the U.S. Supreme Court which is all about uh, did you offer alternatives? Did you give information about those alternatives? According to the uh, plaintiff, the answer is no. The, pa- the parents were never given any information about alternatives. They're like, you could do this. Here's the risk and reward of that. You could do this. Here's the risk and reward of that. They, they were never even told. So if they were never even told of alternatives and were told you know, either dead or go this way, uh, those are the kind of coercive statements that appear to me to both go against the reasonable standard of professional medical care from the information I've seen and uh, go clearly uh, go against informed consent that constitutes battery and medical malpractice in its own right. I, uh, I, it has to succeed. It, it, it has to succeed to get to trial, but it has to succeed at trial. My, my only concern or, you know, the way I can see people wiggling out of this is it'll be all just too, uh, distinct like one case at a time case specific oh in this case they didn't advise about certain th- they didn't advise about the statistical likelihood of a a, a, a a trans teenager growing out of it which is like 96 percent or something or they didn't advise on suicide rates of individuals after trans surgery and so they might just tweak their informed consent make them so long that nobody reads them anyhow but all the information's in there um but that's a better uh, approach. That's always a smarter approach from a doctor. Have yeah, it all well, in writing. Have it in writing, you know, a 20-page document, skim it over. Hey, you've read it. Okay, good. Sign all in here. And then you cover but your ass. As a whole, these kind of treatments, parents do tend to read all of it. Not, not all the time, but they do. Uh, it, it's why they're not giving it out to them in the vaccine context. Right? They've printed something out, but they're not giving it to them when the vaccine's being administered. Because a good number of people would, would read it because it's medical. Right? When you sign that car contract, you don't really care. And you know there's a bunch of crap in there. Uh, but when you're about to go in under an invasive medical life altering medical procedure, then you tend to read the details. Uh, you know what, now that you mention it, uh, Robert in this documentary, uh, died suddenly at, at one point they showed that the form that says what is in the vaccine, like the ingredients piece of paper in the box says intentionally left blank. Do you know if that's true? There's parts of that. That's true. Uh, because, but here's what it is. You have what the FDA has said should be part of the information, but they're not compelling it. And then they're lying themselves when they go out there publicly without referencing it. In fact, they directly contradict it routinely. Now they might get away with it like they just did in the ivermectin case. So people heard about the ivermectin case where the FDA claimed, ah, we weren't giving any guidance. That wasn't final action. We were just, you know, spewing off at at the mouth. So the, this is where the doctors and others sued saying, look, the FDA making false statements about ivermectin is interfering with the practice of medicine, which violates, which is outside their authority. It's ultravirus and violates the Administrative Procedures Act because it's an agency action that has adversely impacted the doctor's ability and the patient's ability to get the care they need and want. And a federal judge who was a Trump appointee, but he was one of these, he was on the Texas Supreme Court and the Texas Court of Appeals and uh, worked with Abbott. I mean, the guy's been on every bench known to man. And in my experience, people that have been on the bench that long don't turn out to be very good judges. Too long on the bench. Not not enough life experience, too much judge experience. Mm-hmm. And that that's and so he dismissed the case on sovereign immunity grounds. 
he said, well, you, you know, it's not clear it's outside the FDA's authority to, to yip what, what they want on social media. And yipping on social media isn't really a final agency action. And nobody's necessarily adversely affected in terms of their legal rights. And so he found every excuse so that the case did not go forward and dismiss the case. Now, I'm sure they will take it up on appeal. Um, but the, uh, it, it's, uh, the, the, the love of immunity, uh, the attempts to excuse and exculpate government lies in this context by the judicial branch continue to be a severe and serious problem. I mean, what's probably going to ultimately be required is some form of legislative reform. Best form of legislative reform is to say there is no such thing as immunity, period. That was for anybody or any agency. No more immunity. Scrap it, scratch it, eliminate it. Uh, because it causes, I trust juries more than I trust judges. Uh, so uh, juries aren't perfect, far from it, but they're still a lot better than judges or executive agencies or a small, it's a broader dispersion and diffusion of power rather than a concentration of power. And the concentration of power usually is the problem with power more often than not, uh, no matter who it is that has it. So, you know, the old statement, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Uh, and that's precisely what I think kind of took place here with a court finding a excuse and a Pontius Pilate pretext to dodge the suit. So, and the argument was that FDA says, first of all, sovereign immunity is the way to avoid the secondary argument, which was that we weren't telling anybody what to do at all. When we put out this wonderful tweet, you're not a horse, uh, you're not a cow, seriously, y'all dumbing down their language to talk to the people. Uh, stop it. When they did I mean, that, uh, what does stop it sound like to you? Doesn't that sound like a final agency action that's trying to adversely impact people's medical relationships with their doctors well, and doctors' relationships with their patients? If, if I'm a doctor, and I mean, I don't. Well, I mean, the there's FDA, doctors are they're suspending their licenses for not taking the FDA advice. Well, that that's the issue. The FDA itself doesn't sanction the doctors, but the disciplinary boards or or, yeah. or their administrative bodies do. They say you're not following this, FDI guidance, so now we're gonna. It, it's the the, the, the ball. The biggest black pill that I've had psychologically to deal with is I can see how everybody shirks off responsibility for what could be or amount to atrocities. I mean, uh, I'm using that word. It's a, it's a big word. Everybody's shirking off responsibility where everybody gets to commit a, a, an inhumane act and say, I have no choice, but nobody says I'm the one doing it. FDA says it's just a recommendation. We're not telling anybody to do anything. Stop it. It's just it's a it's a Rachel Maddow literally stop it. Then the governing boards come in and say, well, we're, we're just following the FDA's advice, so we're taking away your license, so we're going to you know, do whatever to you. And then the doctors at the end say, well, I can't do this without having a problem because you know, the, the, my, my licensing body is going to come down on me, even though they don't take responsibility for it because they're just following the FDA who's not giving advice. And then you get to court, and lo and behold, it's the end of the story. Does it go to appeal? Does it, does it succeed mm. on appeal? And if not, mm. does it need a public warfare battle in the court of public opinion, so there's a legislative solution to it. I mean, it'll probably need court of public opinion uh, because it's it's some of its uncharted territory. So the more specific case that's uh, is our case, Children's Health Defense, Bobby Kennedy and I uh, against the FDA for lying to caregivers, custodians, and kids about the safety, efficacy, necessity, and nature of the drug that they're calling a COVID-19 vaccine that's not a vaccine because it doesn't inoculate against infection or transmission. Um, and, and which is the colloquial understanding of it of, in the ordinary populace. And they know they're lying. Uh, they're not disclosing their the underlying sheets when they go out there and call it safe. Their sheets say we can't call it safe, and yet that's what they're doing. Their own internal documents say you can't call it effective, yet that's what they're doing. 
their own historic definition of vaccine and the colloquial common understanding of vaccine in the word in the public parlance says they can't call it a vaccine yet that's what they're doing they they, they know they're, they, they, the law the facts don't support any claim of an emergency from covid to children and yet they're calling it an emergency to covid for children that necessitates a use of emergency use authority and they're making the same sovereign immunity defenses in that case as they made in the ivermectin case so i think we have a stronger cleaner case uh, but it will depend on the court's willingness to step in and step up and hold uh, the executive agencies responsible for their lies. I- I'm showing a, a Amy Klobuchar's tweet that I talked about at the intro, where they ended by saying vaccines, questionable, are safe and effective. Uh, effective, I think that's been... The COVID-19 vaccine isn't even a vaccine. So if you mind other vaccines, maybe. But the COVID-19 vaccine is not safe. COVID-19 vaccine ain't even a vaccine, and it ain't effective. I mean, for example, Rasmussen did recent, I mean, there's now aggregate, uh, aggregated sources of data from the vaccine adverse event reporting system here in the United States, from the similar one in Europe, from a wide range of word of mouth sources, from a, uh, and now from also uh, from insurance adjusted sources, from excess death mortality sources, mm-hmm. but now from people's own public opinion. Not only Richard Barris had already pulled on this from the beginning, Rasmussen recently did as well. And what you find is about one in eight Americans report serious, significant, severe, adverse res- re- re- uh, responses to the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and you're talking about uh, more deaths, disabilities, disabling injury from a drug, from a vaccine, than all the vaccines combined in the history of the reporting the data. So, they, you know, that's just Klobuchar lying. Now, of course, she knows she can't be sued because right? she's got complete immunity mm-hmm. under the Westfall Act. So we'll see if, you know, that, that some of the legislative reform that needs to come, come about. Part of the reason why I took the Covington case against Senator Warren uh, was to expose this problem. And, and maybe, of course, all the, you know, no Republican would run on it. You know, now you know, several of them lost that maybe would have helped them. But that's another story for another day. Uh, but uh, hopefully we do get some legislative reform on that side because Klobuchar is just repeating the lies the FDA is propagating. And hopefully this all collectively inspires a court to do something about it. When you see situations like in New Zealand where the police raid a person's house and take away their baby because they're going to demand the baby get vaccinated blood. Again, than yeah. vaccinated. The, the um, I, I'm still, you know, in, in as much as there were alternatives that were available, what happened is unjustifiable. If it's an emergency, it's sort of like the um, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses with the blood transfusions for young for young for minors, where you sort of understand urgency and preserving the life. But in this case, it sounds like it's fabricated urgency, emergency because of uh, constructed refusal of alternatives. Uh, hold on, I had one thought there. Because yeah, the alternatives were available for the people. I mean, they, the people had stepped up to donate unvaccinated blood so that the baby would be fine, and the and they they wanted to force the baby to take vaccinated blood, even though Peter McCullough and others have said there is a, there is a risk that's being uh, showing up in the data that donor transfusion, uh, much like breastfeeding. I got, I got a, a, a buddy of mine that uh, has good reason to believe that his child almost died went through, was in the hospital for weeks because of uh, the, the FDA lying about how uh, a vaccinated mother could spread it through breastfeeding. So uh, now his, his son can't, can't even, get breast breast milk and, and you know they'll figure out in time what exactly caused it nobody in the hospital could explain it so the i mean the, the this is about parental control which is a good probably uh transition to a couple of the crazy oh, cps cases well and, and robert you know it, it's it, i'm noticing a trend now i'm you're, the dots are out there i may be connecting them and they might not be connected but 
the Amish farmer controlling what kind of food you can put in your body. Uh, the vaccine controlling what you have to put in your own body or what you can do for your kids. The CPS case, I mean, this is this is lower level or, or more, um, what's the word, macro level stuff, but CPS case. It's a, it's a story of a, of a woman, where are they, in, in rural Virginia? I, I forget what state they're in. Yeah. They, small t- small, a small town in America, not in any derogatory way, but just in terms of way of life. Oh, mother, exactly. lets her, mother lets her three kids play outside. They're four, six, and nine. And they're not like, you know, they're not running. First of all, when I was nine, I was still climbing cliffs and getting into trouble. They're out playing. Apparently, there's an incident with a neighbor where they kicked a soccer ball towards the neighbor's cat. And the neighbor has a cat, which is a dead giveaway. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, a cat joke. But apparently, thought the kids were torturing the cat or trying to hurt the cat. There's a neighbor dispute here. The neighbor calls CPS and basically says, um, I will not be happy until your kids are taken away from you. And gets a caseworker to come in. There's a little bit more to the story, but gets a caseworker to come in who then who says... Uh, your kids are too young to be playing outside. You can't do it. There was another story where the kids were going door to door selling Easter eggs and they happened to ring the doorbell of the caseworker assigned to the case. So a very small, small community. Bottom line, these parents sign. It's not a waiver. It's a re- it's an acknowledgement, a, a form. They, they sign a form that says, uh, what did it say? Rob? They won't allow their kids to be on to ever. Ever, ever be unsupervised. And, 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 and the parents were like, well, look, we're always watching from the house, stepping outside, et cetera. But the American tradition is kids playing outside unsupervised, to be frank about it. That's as old a family tradition, American tradition as exists. And it's good for kids. It's good for kids to be out there and learn, not playing in some little safe space. Not, I didn't grow up on play dates and any of that garbage. We played outside. We especially waited for our uh, mom to leave. Then we went out and did a bunch of stuff we weren't supposed to do but we'd figure out how to track where her car was coming when she was coming back in so we could get inside and pretend we never did it. And the uh, neighbor was also ticked off, but to his credit, at least he didn't call Child Protective Services. <laughs> in fact, he got so ticked off at his, us playing his backyard, he put up a fence. And so then we would just hop over the fence. we climbed the fence. So that crazy guy, he put barbed wire at the top of that fence. <laughs> So we were like, well, you know what? That fence looks like a good soccer goal. In fact, it's actually shaped like a good soccer goal. So we pounded the crap out of that fence. We used it as a baseball fence, as the wall. We used it as a soccer fence to shoot on. That drove him crazy, too. But, you know, it was like he gave up at that point. He was like, okay, there's nothing I can do. It reminds me of a great art exhibit I saw in Milwaukee once. A guy designed an art exhibit that was about a broken playground to describe dysfunctional society in America. So like it was, a, the, you know, it was a, the swing that didn't quite go all the way that ran into a wall or all kinds of things with it. Kids. In, but it was it was an open public uh, installation art that was meant to be interactive. And what was fascinating is kids would come and they found a way to make it all work. So the I was like, that's great. That's the greatest. That's childhood and, and imagination, childhood inventiveness. That's where you learn things. That's where you get. That's where you learn not to talk to the clown in the sewer from the movie It. Right. And of the clown and saying, come on in. No, no, not a good idea. The uh, uh, you know, but that's where you learn some of the best values of life uh, and the idea that you should be constantly watched, constantly monitored, constantly observed by some adult is just a terrifying idea to me. And now they're trying to make it that they'll try to take away your children if you don't do how if you're not constantly watching them, constantly monitoring, constantly supervising them, taking away the very concept of free play. I, I was just telling the crowd on Thursday, I think, when, in my childhood, we used to run through people's backyards. We used to go, we had RTPBY, which was running through people's backyards. In the wintertime, 
we have this thing called, we used to call ourselves terrorists and toboggans. We used to go down, sledding down a hill and like crash into kids. We would play outside alone all the time in a, in a, in a, a you know, a, a, an affluent neighborhood. So you don't have to worry about certain things. You know, downtown New York, you don't let people play outside in the streets. Understandable. In this case, they're in, they're in like small town. On the, small, on the country. It's, they're it's, out it's in the beautiful. country in a small neighborhood running around. She was in the, in the front window for, you know, checking Watching on the kids. On, more than I was ever checked on. I mean, the it's so this is insane. This is a danger of this is about control. They want control over how your children are raised, not only in the public schools, but in your own home. And they're using child protective services to misuse and abuse this power. My experience with child protective services almost everywhere has been extremely negative. I have no confidence in them. They're usually mental, moral freaks. They're people that you want n- never making decisions about child custody. They're, they're disturbed people disproportionately. Sorry if somebody of you out there, maybe hopefully some of you are good, conscientious people. God bless. Not been my general experience. But the state is not supposed to be raising your children. You should get to raise your children. It's And it's not to cast too wide of a net, but government employees uh, who are typically underpaid, uh, angry, uh, what do they call them? Petty tyrants who they, they don't they don't create work by not finding problems. And it goes from like the most objective Child neglect, this was it, you know, food, bruises, injury, that. Are the parents doing drugs? This, in this particular case, they make sure that there's food in the fridge, which I guess is nice, and then make the parents or ask the parents to sign a form. The bottom line of this story, if, if the CPS agent lives in the neighborhood and asks you to sign a form, don't. I mean, it's just once you yeah. sign a form, you're screwed. Uh, fun stuff. Oh, what is it? What does it segue into? Robert? Well, and you have a fundamental right to parent your child, parent your children as you like in custody and care of your child. And so what's good is there's some a push now among a range of organizations to limit the laws governing child protective services that you have to be putting your child knowingly at likely risk of severe physical harm. Um, and cause if they go the emotional route, they'll create excuses for safe spaces for, you know, if you don't let your kid go to trainee story time, all of a sudden you're abusing your Robert, child. That, that's where they're wanting to go. That, that was, I said that that was my red line in Quebec when they passed bill. I forget what it was. The one that removed parental supremacy from the youth protection act. It's going to get to the point where the state the state is going to determine what's in the best interest of the kid. And if they're tolerating these types of medical interventions, kid says, I want to be, uh, I want a trans and the parents say no. And the kid calls up CPS. Once the government gets its hook in, they never let it out. Oh, um, exactly. And that's a probably a good transition to one of the top topics from the locals board. We'll get to the Carrie Lake one election, great election contest. We'll hold get on, to that in just a little bit. Before you get there, there's 22,884 people watching on Rumble. And I'm told there's not that many plus signs. I don't know what benefit it does on Rumble. Hit the little plus sign. I'm going to do it right now myself. Yeah. 982 Rumbles. Hold on. What do we have now? No, now we're at yeah, more Rumbles are better. Rumble it up. We're almost Rumble at 23,000. And we'll get to the Rumble suit against New York, which is very good, too. Oh, it's, it's but, yeah. Uh, there is an update in the Amos Miller Amish farmer case. For those that don't know, this is the uh, Amish farmer that makes meat the way uh, his customers want it. Right? They don't want USDA inspected meat. They, they don't want it, a bunch of chemicals and preservatives and all that crap on it. They don't want big corporate agriculture dictating them. Hormones the and antibiotics. Say again. I say hormones and antibiotics are the are the big ones. They don't don't want want. any of that nonsense. Uh, What they want is here's an Amish community that, uh, on average, the Amish live longer and live better than the average person uh, in the communities that surround them. Their life expectancy consistently better. They have fewer medical ailments and injuries and problems and psychological issues than their local community. 
So it seems to me like they're doing something right. So the, uh, but there's people that for medical, some, some of them for medical disability reasons require the food be made the way in which Amos Miller's farm makes it. There's others that as a personal choice, they want it that way. Amos doesn't sell any food to anybody that doesn't want it exactly how he's making it. He's You're never not- mis- mislabeled anything. He's never adulterated anything. He's never been accused of doing that for any willing, consenting customer. And I think the most important thing is if you're shopping at Amos's place, you're not doing it by accident. It's not like you're buying it off a right. shelf and don't and, and know. he's telling you, he's not putting USDA inspected label on his thing. He's not selling it to the local grocery store. He's not saying it has preservatives and chemicals that it doesn't have. He does none of that. He sells to people who say, Amos, we want it made exactly the way you make it which is without all these chemicals, without all these preservatives, all the, without all this crap made in, 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 a, uh, in a way that promotes organic farming, a farming that has been a tradition within the Amish community for centuries. And the U.S. government came in, and uh, now the years ago, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was given the power to, again, protect informed consent. It goes back to that principle. The goal being that because what was happening in the 1900s was that you'd go to the store, and you buy something that said kidney beans, and inside was green beans. Inside was mash. Inside was, you know, spam. So, it, I mean, it was that bad. So in order to prevent that, they said, well, we're going to create a labeling agency that says if you sell in interstate commerce, when you put the label on it, it has, what's in there has to be what's on the label. This is also how the FDA started. And it's actually their whole authority. They have somebody selling you a medicine. What's actually in that medicine has to be represented on the outside of the label. That's what both none of just as the FDA was not given the authority to govern medicine. And most of them have no clue. Many of them are not doctors at all. The USDA was just was never given the power to control food. They were only given the power to control labeling. And many of the bureaucrats at the at the US uh, FDA at the USDA uh, the Department of Agriculture. They're not farmers. Many of them have zero experience farming. They have no idea what they're doing. And yet they're running around telling farmers how to farm. What they're supposed to be doing is just checking the label. So they come after Amos. Uh, they come after him aggressively over multiple years. And he retained me a month or so ago. Well, hold on, and hold on, he, hold on. Stop there. Because he retained you after having gotten fined a quarter well, of well, a million, quarter of a million I mean, dollars. A whole host of issues. The reason why he retained me is next Friday, what was scheduled to occur on December 16th was Amos Miller going to jail being jailed, a judgment of over $300,000, monetary judgment being issued against both him and his wife and his farm, which they could immediately collect upon, which could shut down his farm while he's jailed. Mm -hmm. And there was a bunch of arrested meat that he couldn't do anything with in the interim. Uh, Meat that had been seized because it didn't comply with USDA's definition of what's a good meat. Uh, They called adulterative. It doesn't fit their standard. In my view, that's a complete misapplication of the term. That's adulteration is supposed to be me lying to the public about what's in the meat. Not, not, I don't do it the way the U S department of agriculture likes me to do it. That that's a misapplication of the, of the word and the label, but it's what happens. We, you give them a little bit of a creak at that open that door. They want to come in and they want to control now what you can put in your own body. Cause this case is fundamentally and not only about preventing Amos Miller from farming the way his religious community traditionally farmed. It's also about, Ordinary people getting to decide what I put in my body. I don't want USDA nonsense. 
I want something that's not USDA controlled. In the century or so since the USDA is involved, including the food pyramid over the last half century, people have gotten fatter and sicker and fatter and sicker and fatter and sicker. The USDA is an embarrassment of an agency and an honest government would just eradicate it, period. That's my view of the USDA. They have failed their test to protect public health. They have made our public health worse over and over and over again. It's why so many people want Amos Miller style produced food. It's healthier. That's why. Uh, Because, and not just control, they're better, more informed than the average USDA bureaucrat is. So uh, there's USDA USDA employees who also attest to this, by the way, or publicly attesting this. So the goal was there's a short-term, mid-term, and long-term perspective on the case. From Amos's perspective, it was to remove the guillotine of going to jail. And I found that absurd and outrageous, Uh, number one. Number two, remove this big monetary judgment from being issued that could bankrupt his farm. And number three, reduce the all the amount overall while getting some release of this arrested food so his farm can survive economically while we negotiate a, interme- a, a more intermediate solution. Because uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office has been very fair in Pennsylvania and says they only want to promote the same understanding as I have of the law which is just to make sure people are getting what they uh, want to get within the law. And the I don't trust that the USDA has the same motivations in the case, but we'll find out in time. So, but the uh, intermediate solution is to be able to keep the farm afloat and alive and people be able to get the product they want. Long-term solution is to build a custom exception plan that allows people to do to get the food they want and farmers to make it the way they want without the government overseeing all of it uh, and limiting what they do. And in fact, there's a custom exception plan written into the law to accommodate that, including that they really don't have the authority to govern, in my view, uh, personal food consumption, period. But there's people at the USDA who are asserting they do have that right, by the way. They're trying to say, if you go fishing, Viva, and you bring that fish home, you better go get USDA approval before you eat it or feed it to your kids. That's the level of insanity of some of these USDA people. Well, we did reach a settlement on the short-term issues. The contempt hearing will not take place uh, next Friday. The uh, It has all been put in stay in abeyance. Uh, there's going to be no monetary judgment of some big amount. There is a reasonable payment plan on some of the much more modest amounts uh, that can be paid over many months. Um, and there's going to be no jail. So Amos and the arrested food is going to be released in a way that Amos can make productive use of it. Mm-hmm. And so the short-term issues have been resolved. We're still in the intermediary solutions and the long-term solutions. And I'm talking to people that are outside of the Amos camp who want uh, to address a lot of these e- legal uh, issues from a constitutional perspective and a legal perspective more broadly. Um, but the uh, but for Amos, uh, at least he'll be able to have Thanksgiving and uh, he'll be able to have Christmas at home, not in jail. And and the and the farm won't be facing imminent bankruptcy. And, and it's not there will not be wasted stock. There won't be wasted meats. It Correct. Will... The, the food will go to productive uh, uh, use uh, in a way that's that that's now been approved of that the that was arrested and some of it been sitting there for a while it, in the freezers. And so, I mean, the government the government's getting some payment over time. Uh, I don't know if I well, should the US ask. The Attorney's Office has been pretty fair and impartial about this, uh, and it's and it's, the hurdle, frankly, is consistently the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So we'll see how they uh, go long forward. Uh, I'm hopeful that we'll get resolutions so that Amos can get done what he needs to get done. And the people that 
want Amos's food the way Amos makes it can get it as such. And, um, and this, some of those folks may need to start bringing suits to clarify this in a range of jurisdictions um, in other contexts, uh, independent of and separate from Amos's case. Uh, and uh, the because this is about we should have. But also, I think it's a call for legislative reform. Amos Miller's case and aspects of it show they got to change the laws, re remove the U.S. Department of Agriculture from controlling food supply, period. They should be in the labeling and marketing business, not the food governance business. And at a minimum, it should be made crystal clear in the law that no government regulation shall be interpreted to limit what a person puts in their own body under informed consent. That that you have a right to dictate, uh, just as you have a right to farm, in my view, which is being established in more states, we need to establish that you have a right of bodily autonomy means not only a right to what, of what medicines go in your body, but a right of what food goes into your body. It's fantastic. I mean, it, it sounds like um, all around, all around victory temporarily. What would a lo the longer term solution would be? What that the USDA says uh, to, to have a custom exception plan that affirms what's what uh, what the law is supposed to be about. The law is supposed to be about informed consent. So you got it. So and just make that clear, right? Make sure all the labels are correct. Make sure the only people that are purchasing it are people that know exactly what they're purchasing. Make sure it's not publicly available for sale. It's such that somebody could buy it that doesn't know what they're purchasing. It's all about informed consent. Let's get the law back to that and have a custom plan that conforms to that. The, the reality is people want Amos's food. I mean, no one's ever sued Amos for anything wrong with his food ever. Oh, but Robert, they said they said someone got sick and died uh, four years ago. Related the person to didn't sue him, and they couldn't connect it to Amos. That had nothing to do with Amos. But so it's, the, also, it's also it's so preposterous because the amount of recalls that you get from major manufacturers oh, who are um, okay. Well, that's I mean that's fantastic. I, I won't ask the quantum, but there was a lot of the, it, 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 it's good and staying in business is even better. Yeah, the amounts is like thirty thousand, and then there's a twenty five thousand or so, and twenty five thousand paid over about a six month time period. Is is it with without it obviously without admission? What's what is the basis? Yeah, yeah, of those uh, none, none of that. Okay. It, it's uh, it's basically remove all the imminent risk and let's get back to a solution that works long term and the u.s attorney has been very fair about it so i have no complaints there whatsoever i don't trust the u.s department of agriculture so we'll see the uh but the uh but i do think long term there are people out there that want to misuse this and abuse this power to control what we can eat and it's not it's not a coincidence that the man who's trying to co-op public health in the world is also buying up all the farmland and is heavily invested in a range of corporate agriculture. Wow. His name is Bill Gates. Look at like whatever Bill Gates wants, do the opposite. That's the solution. That sounds awful conspiratorial, Robert. I want to read one Rumble Ranch just because it's on point and, it's, uh, and I'm going to read the other ones during a Locals exclusive. From the John Beck, he says, Viva, for Barnes right now, the give, send, go by Ankh and Tracy is legit. There's another setup by Austin Estes. Is that legit or fraud? Austin Estes won at givesendgo.com slash save Miller's org. Robert, do you have any knowledge of that? Uh, I'll, I'll repin whatever the, the current one is, uh, is basically people. The reason why the Amish were vulnerable is because they don't believe in publicity and they don't believe in going to court. Uh, my mom was big, big on that. So I picked the wrong career for her in that sense. But the, uh, she's like, you know, Christians don't sue other Christians. And I was like, yeah, well, I understand the principle, but I'm going to, you know, I got a different view. The, uh, uh, if I'm suing them, they probably weren't Christians. <laughs> so put it that way. Not in reality, you know, not, not, not the clear certain standards, but, uh, but other people came to his defense because the people who buy his food, people who often need his food for health reasons, um, were the ones who organized it. And so I'll, I know there are multiple fundraisers out there. Uh, I, 
the I'll, I'll pin at the locals at vivabarnslaw.locals.com. I'll pin for a week at uh, at the top of the board the correct place where you can go and continue to help him because he's going to need it to be able to survive this. Right. And, and he's a little Amish guy, and he's literally a little, you know, a little Amish guy. Uh, that you know, a sweetheart of a human being that's out there doing this. Um, the uh, but yeah, then you know what? I'm going to be up there actually next week in Amish country. Uh, take a tour of everything. Try you know figure out a, the long term ways. I mean, how do how do we keep this farm alive? How do we keep people being able to eat what they want? How do we respect the religious traditions of the Amish people? Uh, so uh, that that's the goal, and, and and at least this first step, the U.S. government has been uh, has been acting in good faith. The U.S. Attorney's Office, and so yeah. it produced a a very positive initial outcome. Amazing. And Robert, I just sent you the link so you can see the give, send, go, and we'll, we'll notify on, on locals if it's legit. Yep. Um, all right. Well, look, we've got, we're nearing, we're nearing the end and I know we have a lot of small ones left, but Robert, Carrie yeah, Lake. Big one. Carrie Lake. Lake. Okay. So Carrie Lake has filed uh, a, a bona fide election contest. Uh, she's alleged what we already know, uh, delays, problems with tabulators. I can't hear tabulator in any other way, but through Bill Gates, the Maricopa County, Bill Gates, uh, his voice. Uh, she's it, it relying on testimonial evidence that they've gathered from people who had issues. Uh, other than uh, in reading the summary of the suit, where they impute intent, or as I always say, they avoid trying to impute intent when the outcome is the same. Okay. She's contesting it. What's going to happen? What's the process? What are the chances of success given what just happened to her on the previous lawsuit where they got sanctioned for, for legal fees? Is, is the past prologue to the future? Is this going to stand on its own legs or are judges going to get influenced by the previous lawsuit? And where does it go? So, yeah, it's a straightforward election contest. The standard in Arizona that's been established for almost a century by the Arizona Supreme Court does not require proof of fraud, does not require proof of intentionality. It just requires irregularities, mistakes, or other issues that bring the election outcome into doubt. So all that you need to show is that there were irregularities, mistakes, or other issues in the processing of the ballots, and that there's enough of the ballots that are in dispute that is greater than the margin of victory. All you have to have is in doubt. You don't have to prove it beyond certain or anything else. The typical remedy that is offered, customary remedy, is a runoff election, a new election. Uh, she has requested all her available remedies. She's requested that as a primary remedy. But as alternatives, she could be declared the winner. That remedy has been given before. Uh, she uh, Also, that they could uh, portion the ballots in a certain way to make account for the various errors and omissions and mistakes that took place. Um, and there's and they, they could also order an audit of the ballots. They could order experts to do signature match checks. There's a range of other things they could also do to accomplish the uh, objective. For those out there that said, oh, this has never been granted in history. Well, actually, it's been granted right in Arizona in the governor's race. So there's a prior governor's race where the Arizona Supreme Court voided the election because there was doubt about the outcome because of irregularities in the way in which the vote count took place. That's it. So the idea that this has never been done, can't be done, won't be done is all nonsense. Now, there is a political hurdle with prejudice in the court system, which I'll get to, but that uh, shouldn't blind us to what the facts in the law are or the politics of pursuing these cases. So go ahead. Uh, I, I, do I bring up the Bill Gates? Let me bring it up one more time just so that sure. nobody, nobody says um, you're making stuff up or for the YouTube overlords. 
Maricopa County. Here we go. How they're going to argue that there were no errors. I'm Bill Gates, the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. I won't play the whole thing. And I'm Stephen Richard, the Maricopa County Recorder. And we're here to give you an update on how things are going so far with the election. We've already had almost 44,000 people show up this morning, check in, and be available to vote. And things are going great out there. But there's one thing that we wanted to address to make people aware of today. And that has to do with our tabulators. We've got about 20% of the locations out there where there's an issue with the tabulator where some of the ballots that after people have voted them, they try and run them through the tabulator and they're not going through. But the good thing is, is we do, first of all, we're trying to fix this problem. Try to fix it. Okay, we can stop it from yep. there. It's, Robert, I mean, Katie it's Hobbs, says, she said that there's like, she said, he said 20% of the locations Katie Hobbs' lawsuit alleges like 39% of the locations. Uh, Carrie Lake's lawsuit. I'm sorry. I, Katie Hobbs. Sorry, because I, I, I have a question about Katie Hobbs afterwards. Carrie Lake alleges it's like in the 30s percentage. Some people well, are going to say. It's over half at different points. So uh, there's different ones went down for different lengths of time. So the here are the issues. Here are the mishaps, uh, 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 irregularities, uh, the omissions that she details. First, the big one is signature mismatches. So the employees were monitored. So for those people out there, over a million ballots in Arizona come in by mail. The way in which the only method by which you can make sure that ballot is a is a legal ballot is that on the envelope before you open the ballot, before you allow it to be counted, you match the signature on the outside of the ballot, on the outside of the mail envelope, with the signature uh, on the registration card. Uh, because that's not something someone will typically have access to, so it's tough to forge it or uh, make it fraudulent. Well, the on average, the volunteers working in the election uh, there's over there's hundreds of people that have filed sworn statements on this in support of the deck in support of the election contest for Carrie Lake. That they that uh, what they were finding was on average twenty to thirty percent of the ballots didn't match. So they and and, and they, it was a very high rate. And then what was happening is somebody above them, without party observers being present, was reversing their decisions. And, and they were even passing out stickers that you could just re, you could stick it on there and somehow it magically reverse the original, the person actually charged with making sure the ballots match, the signatures match. So that, that's the first one. And that's, that's over 200,000 ballots. Again, the, the, the margin is less than 20,000 ballots. So by itself, the signature mismatches requires either a further full signature match audit with expert witnesses as they included in the uh in the in the election contest they pointed out in 2020 that some of these signatures couldn't match in other words you had someone who had a normal signature and you had someone who wrote almost a blank line now that's never supposed to match that ballot's never that's not a legal ballot that's an illegal ballot it appears that over 200,000 illegal ballots were counted in the election and when they're and, less than 20,000, the margin of victory is less than 20. And just to highlight why that's important, it's because by and large, what was the uh, the, the mail-in vote Democrat to Republican percentage? Oh, massively. One, Matt, it, was, it was over two to one in favor of the Democrats. Okay. Uh, last I checked. Uh, so scra scra scratch what I just said, two to one, not, not maybe bigger. It was very but, hot. Okay. And then you have ballot custody. And this was a very well thought through election contest. It was filed by the lawyer who worked with Ken Paxton to draft the con election contest that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court in 2020. That's who this guy is. Some people asked about Harmeet Dillon. She's running for the Republican National Committee chair. She was not going to be the person to bring the election contest. 
She was there to help on election day. Um, this guy is is is, is a well. He, he had to leave and create his own firm because everybody panicked when he went and, and helped Ken Paxton file this challenge. But that was a very well ver well thought through challenge. Again, attorney generals throughout the country joined it. Uh, uh, lawyers throughout the country joined it. Members of Congress throughout the country joined it. State legislators throughout the country joined it. So anybody who says that was a frivolous uh, filing uh, is is full of it uh, in 2020. And so the that's who drafted this. The second issue he went into is ballot custody. So that's always critical. And my biggest criticism of of machines in their current form uh, is on the issue of ballot custody. Normally, what happens in ballot custody, you get like if you have real paper ballots where the machines only tabulate, they don't they're not part of printing the ballot. Uh, you avoid this problem. But when you have machines printing ballots and you don't have clean chain of custody, then uh, all kinds of ballots can just flood into the system and be counted that weren't supposed to be counted. So it's very strict ballot custody protocols. You have to fill out all these forms about, okay, this ballot came in on this date from this person. We put it into this box at this day. wasn't open until it was transported over here, so forth. Those records are missing. They're missing in mass from Maricopa County. The, ba- the ballot custody was a joke. Complete joke, complete disgrace. The second uh, behind second signature mismatches, the second most essential critical defender against fraud, which is strict chain of custody. Anybody that does it's a lawyer, uh, especially a criminal lawyer, knows all about chain of custody. Right. When evidence goes missing, you the chain of custody is impaired. You can't trust the evidentiary value of that evidence anymore. That's you can't trust a ballot to be a legally qualified ballot. If the chain of custody goes AWOL and the chain of custody went completely AWOL, AWOL here because they have they weren't keeping basic records that they were legally obligated to keep. So that's and again, the number of ballots that impacts over 200,000 ballots, more than 10 times the number of uh, ballots that are of the, of the margin of victory. Third problem was the tabulator issue you already mentioned. This led to voter suppression, multiple hours of people uh, being in line. Many people quit voting. Some people went to different locations and then were denied the right to vote at a different location because they checked in earlier. That number is as high. They don't fully know because Maricopa County hasn't been fully forthcoming, but maybe as high as 200,000 people who checked in to vote whose ballots never showed up in the county. It's, it's, and, and apparently the stat is it's like three to one Republican to Democrat showing up to vote in person on election. And they had internal maps on their walls, as detailed by Richard Barris, People's Pundit, who's uh, also a, a declarant in the case, that uh, where they knew in Maricopa County who was voting where by party, mm-hmm. which is weird, by the way. And again, the head people at Maricopa County had organized political action committees against Carrie Lake to see her defeated. Uh, up next, the fourth problem was mix, mix matched ballot ballots. So what was happening is ballots that had already been counted, had already been tabulated, already been counted, were being mixed in in containers with ballots that had not been counted. That's a huge problem. So then all of a sudden you don't know which ones already got counted, and which ones didn't. Because, and this was uh, amplified by their chain of custody problem. Then there was all these oh, stop, stop, that, Sorry, stop there. Does that dilute the count or does that result in double counts? Both can do both interesting okay uh the the fourth problem was the what was called the dropbox uh the the or the i think it was uh, dropbox three or whatever it was there was a particular box if you went in and your ballot wasn't being counted you could put in a particular box and they were going to count it later the numbers of that people reported much higher than was actually showed up in that box there are uh where people witnessed ballots that just went missing ballots that were in bags that appeared to have never been tabulated 
So that's the uh, additional issue is missing balance. And again, this would comport with uh, almost 200,000 more people checking in to vote than apparently their ballots were counted. Uh, it's up to that number. And again, they just need 20,000. They need 17, 18,000. Then they're raising four other issues. This is that the Twitter files disclosed yeah, that's that right. the election officials in Arizona were organized, were demanding Twitter censor people raising issues with how this election was being conducted, including, go ahead. Uh, no, because th this is where I got my name mixed up because I, not many people are sort of uh, very familiar with the outright conflict of interest. Explain the position that Katie Hobbs, Carrie Lake's opponent, occupied in Arizona. I don't know if it's in the state legislature, in the state government. What was her role prior to and during the election and during the election verification process so people can fully understand just how bad this is? So the Democrat running for governor is the existing secretary of state. She presided over the 2020 election and she presided over the 2022 election. So she supervised the conduct uh, the conduction of elections in Arizona. And she refused to recuse or disqualify herself. She was personally involved in the oversight. She was seen on location of the counting of the ballots. And the uh, and even worse, what's alleged here is she did two things that were deeply problematic. One is she directly interfered with public statements about the election and people raising issues by censoring their opinions on social media, by demanding Twitter remove certain accounts or uh, de-boost those accounts, effectively shadow ban those accounts. Apparently there's a visibility filter. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Scott Adams was saying that maybe Twitter's defense was going to be. I'm like, good luck with that. No, no, we didn't shadow ban anybody. We just had a visibility filter. Uh, uh, it's and, like and, very and, it, and it wasn't politically motivated either. We just we just control it. The, the, it was it's double speak, but yeah, it, it's all yeah. multiple levels. So there's the problem for her ordering censoring of people that were exposing some of these problems in the court of public opinion, state action, First Amendment violations of Lake supporters and election integrity supporters uh, using her control uh, of the state authority and her relationship with Twitter and social media to accomplish it. Then the second problem is when certain election officials did not want to certify this election in some of the counties because of the problems in Maricopa County, she directly threatened them with uh, jail if they didn't certify the election. The law in Arizona does not require, it was not a ministerial obligation for them to certify the election. They were, in fact, constitutionally obligated to raise the questions they were asking. So her ordering them to certify the election under pain of penalty of jail was itself criminal behavior in the state of Arizona. The attorney general had either cojones or brains, Bernovich, which I doubt he has either. I was in front of his wife, very unimpressive federal judge that Trump foolishly appointed to the bench. Uh, more of a power trip authoritarian than, than anybody willing to take on election corruption in Arizona. Uh, Katie Hobbs would be under criminal investigation today. Uh, then the uh, two other issues, uh, well, actually only one other issue. They are challenging, as the Arizona has also challenged, something that I've often said about mail-in balloting in the current form, which is mail-in balloting invalidates secret ballots. Secret ballots in Arizona are constitutionally required. Uh, so the question is, uh, if there's to me, that there's no protocols in place to assure that a mail-in ballot is secret. There's, no, there's nothing that requires the voter to sign that nobody saw their ballot, nobody reviewed their ballot, nobody knows who they voted for, they weren't paid for the ballot, 
anything. There's none of that's required in Arizona. So that it violates the right to a secret ballot to even allow mail-in voting under the current standards in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So they're preserving that challenge as well. So it's a very robust challenge. They got a judge who's a BYU grad, which probably means a a Mormon, which was a fair number in Arizona, about five to six percent. Kept a pretty low profile, uh, worked in private practice, uh, worked for some local governments, is a local state court judge, doesn't have a real high profile in general. Uh, Whether if he is impartial, uh, then Carrie Lake will get a meaningful evidentiary hearing on this case. Uh, If he is intimidated by the corrupt federal judge that is threatening sanctions against Alan Dershowitz for merely raising questions about the greatness and wonders of the election, uh, before the election, all the way back in the primary stage, saying, hey, there's some issues with these machines. Dershowitz, like Robert Kennedy, like others, is a fan of paper ballots and doesn't isn't a big fan of machine ballots. Uh, you know, if, if he's intimidated by it, like a lot of people assume will happen, uh, then then he will capitulate and not allow the case to go forward. What that will do is damage the in- appearance of the integrity and impartiality and relevance, frankly, of the judiciary. This is where the judiciary is supposed to step up. This is unlike the Trump cases, which I thought a lot of those cases belonged in Congress constitutionally, not in the courts. Other than the I did think the U.S. Supreme Court case belonged in the U.S. Supreme Court. But a lot of remedies I thought were congressional remedies rather than court remedies that in the election contest laws in Arizona, the courts are supposed to do the job here now. And if they can't, then what Arizona and others need to other states need to start looking at is removing election contest authority from judges because they just can't do their job. And giving it to state legislatures instead, as it is, as it has been in the past in several states. Um, this is an opportunity for the courts to show confidence in the judiciary and confidence in elections by having a transparent process to vet the evidentiary allegations. And if they suffice, as I believe they do, Carrie Lake should get a new election, at least in Maricopa County, revote Maricopa County, where almost all the problems occurred. But really, just do a runoff. Runoffs are not that hard to do. Just do a runoff in a month or so. And, and, but this time, make sure the election is run competently and constitutionally. Uh, two questions. You said there has been precedent. When has there ever been a new runoff called subsequent to an election? Oh, contest? often, often throughout the country. Okay. Now, I think in Arizona, what happened is, I, as I recall, they actually declared one person, they declared the person who lost the election, the governor, because of the irregularities, and they could prove that enough of the ballots went to the person who was declared the winner rather okay. than they said it was a deserved one. But uh, the most common remedy across the nation has been runoffs. Uh, I've always encouraged that because that strikes me. I don't want judges declaring winners. I didn't like the Supreme Court declaring George W. Bush a winner. I thought what they should do is do a runoff in Florida, see what happens. Um, you don't have to do with the whole country. You know, it's one state that's in dispute. That That's what should happen here. To, to just do a runoff. Uh, to do it. I mean, we do runoffs all across the country all the time. Just had one in Georgia. And just make sure it's competently constitutionally run this time. How hard is that? Uh, so this answers the second question is Mark Elias presented an argument for why Katie Hobbs was not just within her rights, but objectively right to threaten suit because they had no choice. We, we discussed that last week. Yep. What would be required uh, what what precautionary I mean, the measures? The problem was he interpreted the law as as uh, as ministerial. Yeah. Like there was no discretion, and in the reading of the law in, that's recorded in the election contest by Kate Ha by by Carrie Lake against Katie Hobbs is that in fact that's not what the law says at all. So it would not shock me that money launderer Mark Elias. Uh, wasn't being honest about a legend. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just think it's going to get me in trouble, Robert, but set aside Mark Elias. What would be required in order to safeguard from undue influence from Katie Hobbs? What would she have to do 
In she should have recused herself at this point. I mean, especially, but she never should have. It's one thing, you know, she was constitutionally entitled to run the election, even though she was involved in the governor. I don't have a problem with that. Stacey Abrams attacked Brian Kemp for that same thing in 2018. I didn't have a problem with that. I have a problem with her overstepping her role. I have a problem with her skewing the protocol, the, you know, not following the rules, like in the signature match context. I have problems with her interfering and in getting censoring dissidents that were exposing corruption and fraud in the election. And I have problems with her threatening people in an illicit way. I mean, if she had a problem with it, and what she did, she took them to court, just take them to court and argue why you think it's ministerial. Don't be threatening them with jail. That, that, that's the, I mean, everything that's happened in Arizona has dramatically reduced the confidence of millions of Americans, not just Arizonans, in the integrity of our elections. We cannot continue to operate in a country based on consent of the governed if the governed don't think they gave consent. And if the courts have any had either brains or balls, they would say we need to have an open, transparent process here so people can have confidence okay. in the outcome one way or the other. We'll find out whether the Arizona courts have either. Yeah, and, and they call Carrie Lake the election denier. Uh, when she lost now, well, by... This, uh, Ryan Gadurski or Gadusky or whatever his name is. So he's this grifter. Uh, and you can always tell the grifters because they first thing is you can't figure out how they make their money on a daily basis. Right. That's always a, like a first telltale sign. All these so-called they're, they're gray spade, like, like David Reboy or whatever his name is, hangs out with Jack Murphy, you know, who like to stick things up his rear end and put it on TV and sell, sell it for money. They, I mean, that, that, that's who these people hang out with, you know, typically. Uh, so th this guy was a he's been obsessed with attacking Carrie Lake on the grounds that Carrie Lake is no better than Stacey Abrams. That Carrie that election uh, questioning ele being an election denier is being is not being populist and uh, et cetera. And somehow you know, to be populist is to think our elections are perfect beacons of integrity. And you, you dig in further. The guy the guy's like, oh, I've elected all these populists. It's like who and you dig in. The only guy he's really connected to any profiles Bloomberg. It's like. Bloomberg, the populist? I must have missed that. Uh, you know, so this guy, and the, uh, you know, he wanted to tango. So he went and he started attacking. He was like, I'm, I'm always happy to tango with you. And, you know, the kid's a grifter, just a pure great he, he writes a nationalist populist report. The guy's not, a, he doesn't know what populism is. Uh, the But it, to give people an idea, a history of challenging elections is as old as America. Uh, the I mean, we had challenged elections in the Electoral College in 1800. Both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson participated in electoral contests. Alexander Hamilton contested an election. Uh, so, you know, we've had uh, Andrew Jackson got his election stolen and ran on it in 1828. So the idea that 1876 was famous uh, for, for that's why they called the, the, the guy who won his fraudulency the first. That's what they called him. That's why I call Biden his fraudulency the second. Um, he's kind of like the mentally disabled version. The uh, uh, and so the uh, and then I mean, and look at the Democrats. Uh, Nixon wins in 1968. They say he stole it by derailing the Vietnam peace talks. Uh, Reagan wins in 1980. What did Democrats say? Oh, Reagan stole it by Iran Contra and everything connected to the Iranian hostage. Poppy Bush wins in 1988. The Democrats accept the election because election integrity is part of da, 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 da. always accepting elections as a sign of being an American. No. They say he stole it because of the Michael Dukakis being an illicit racist ad. Then, of course, George W. Bush wins. Do they say he win it? No, they made massive protests that he stole it. And they say he stole it in 2004 with the Diebold machines in Ohio. Then, of course, Donald Trump wins. Do they say he wins legitimately? No, they claimed he stole it for years and launched a special counsel inquiry into it. So politically, historically in America, 
to challenge elections is to be an American. The populists were always big on election integrity, exposing election fraud everywhere it took place. It was part of their big campaign topics throughout the late 1800s and throughout the early 1900s. So to be populist is to say, I demand honest, open, fair, free elections. It's how a lot of us, you know, my you know, ancestors helped bring about free and fair election clauses in state constitutions. That's why it exists. Secret ballot, why it exists is because we wanted election integrity. It has been a populist mantle for forever. And denying election fraud and election fornication is not being a populist. It's being a, uh, an, an institutionalist who cares more about covering up problems than uh, dealing with problems. And Gudersky's just, uh, Gudersky or how you pronounce his name, the, uh, uh, is just one in a long line. That's why he, like he's on Buck Sexton, you know, Clay Travis a lot. You know, Buck Sexton is a former CIA spook, folks. You know, that's who that guy is. And Clay Travis, God bless him, he's from Vandy. He's only half Tennessee by my book because you can't be full Tennessee and be from Vandy. Great, you know, sweetheart of a human being, but he's not exactly the most politically informed guy in the world. So the uh, uh, on these kind of issues. And so to all these people attacking Kerry Lake haven't read the suit. The suit is an ex- exceptional suit that details extraordinary facts and the law overwhelmingly supports her. Uh, so what they're really saying is, hey, they stole it. Let's just go along with it. You know, let, 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 like the, some of the people did with LBJ in, in uh, 1946. Maybe if they would have fought LBJ all the way back then fully and thoroughly, uh, maybe President Kennedy doesn't get whacked in 1963 in Texas. Robert, I can't think of a better way to end the episode other than that. That's going to make one heck of a highlight. I, I, I could hear it in my head. Uh, we didn't get to everything, but that's, I mean, look, th- this is this is phenomenal. So we'll be following Carrie Lake. We'll be following it all. Timeline for Carrie Lake? It sh- like, are they going to push this through? Oh, it's rapidly? always expedited. Election okay. contests are expedited. Excellent. So, the, uh, so I assume within, uh, you know, that, that the, and, and we'll find out quickly. It, does the court hold meaningful evidentiary hearings? In Georgia, they went through procedural. The only other good state election contest brought in recent times was the one brought in Georgia that I, I helped. I was part of that process, but I wasn't the lawyer on, on the record. Um, and what they did in Georgia is it was so good that they just never heard, made it, never had scheduled a hearing <laughs> illegally, by the way, that's classic Georgia courts. So we'll see with Arizona quickly, if he schedules a meaningful hearing and schedules a real evidentiary hearing and allows real discovery. If he does, then real remedy should be coming down the pipeline. Uh, I understand it's uphill because people are used to courts just capitulating and being cowards. I understand that. I've been one of the most strongest critics of courts you'll find anybody of any lawyer out there. But this is a good case, and she's right to bring it. And even if you think the courts, if you if you think the courts are not going to do anything, still bring the case to get it in the court of public opinion and show that the courts are not the ultimate remedy, and we need to change the institutional remedy. Ah, he can't say Viva. He can't say Viva <laughs> oh, that logo's back off. Holy, oh, he got oh, oh Viva Bar. Did you catch your hair? I don't hear. He, he got a bit of a haircut. I said I, I, so I told him I told him not to do it. Uh, VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com. He says it great though. <laughs> um, Robert, do you have any appearances this week coming up? Don't, uh, no, I'm going to be on the road. Uh, right. Leave oh, uh, Tuesday, and then I'll be in Tennessee until after Christmas. All right. Well, someone said I should meet you down at, uh, at the Amish uh, Amos's farm to to see what's going on. But I, we're supposed to go back to Canada for a, a week, so we'll see what happens. Oh there. yeah. Uh, uh, we'll see what happens robert if i can get past the border um robert amazing stuff uh wednesday so do we have a sidebar wednesday or not uh no because I'm, I'm on the road okay so I'll, I'll get something going anyhow but for anybody who wants to see it the you know there uh, our interview with carl benjamin was great 
It was it was fantastic. It, it was it was glorious. Uh, so we'll see. Okay, Robert, everybody in the chat, thank you very much as always for being here. It was one amazing episode. Uh, you can you go all... to what, what Ziggy Shrugged site oh, and get the is, Christmas tournaments. Is, yeah, hold on a second. It is called Creations by Ziggy. And let Creations me by Ziggy. You can get uh, you can get Viva Barnes uh, Christmas ornaments. You can get Hush Hush ornaments. You can get uh, Eric Hunley ornaments. You can get Grow Grow Bear uh, ornaments. Look at this. You, you yeah, can get. Viva dreidels and barns yeah, you, you on a dreidel. Dreidels. <laughs> dreidels. Which I never one of those, by the way. I got me. I'm one's coming. Oh, I'm gonna get them for the kids. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get into some serious Hanukkah gambling. We'll get we'll get one. Uh, everybody, thank you all for being here. Robert, stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes. Everybody, this is gonna be on podcast format tomorrow. Clips are gonna be on Viva Clips. Oh, they they saw my phone. Um, and that's it. Everybody, enjoy the rest of the weekend. <laughs>